Welcome to another episode of the XL Podcast. We've got my good friend, Mr. Robert Ferguson, aka Fergie. How are you doing, mate? Unbelievable. Long time to do this, huh? We've been trying for a while to put this together, haven't we? Wow. Technical stuff is not for me, man. I just seen you having a wee coffee there. Last time we went for a coffee, you ordered a coffee I couldn't even remember. The last time I heard somebody ask for like bad co- coconut milk in the, the freshly squeezed virgin oil. <laughs> I know, man. I'm getting all, I guess I'm getting all above my station. If I asked for that and Lauren, I got fucking shot. <laughs> what, what is in your coffee there? Or is it a coffee? It is a green tea matcha latte. <laughs> uh, can you see that? It's green. <laughs> yeah. That looks like the Incredible Hulk's made it. That's a shy joke, isn't it? That's how I feel like when I fucking drink it, let me tell you. Is it good for you? Probably not as many as I drink now. <laughs> it's going to be a wee bit of vodka in it in the morning, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, before we go too mental, this, this wee um, podcast thing is, I don't know, it's just interviewing guys that I respect and admire. Uh, and just getting a crack with them about their journey through music. So look into my eyes and we're going to take you way back to the very start. <laughs> Obviously, you're, you're, where are you just now? Still in Las Vegas? I'm in Las Vegas. I am in a house with four walls now. I was in a caravan for a while. Fucking brilliant, but loved it. Just out in the open road? Just, um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, when this lockdown happened, we sold everything, mate. We were like, fuck this. And, um, but we can get into that later or whatever. Yeah, we'll but get yeah, to that. We're in a house at the minute, so we're in Vegas and we're out by the mountain. So that's why I look like a fucking mountain, man. You look good, man. You look good. You look happy. That's the main thing, isn't it? Certainly is, mate. So, like, going right back to like growing up and all that. Where and when did music come into your life? Can you, you know, this is pure, this is your life stuff, but you know, can you remember a time? It could be a song or, you know. First instance of music I would have been into would have been Anderson's Memorial Flip Band. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the first music I would have heard when I was the nipper. You know, when they would have been out marching around the neighborhood and stuff like that. I don't know what sounds you're looking for, but honestly, that probably would have been the first music that I would have heard. My mum and dad weren't real. They didn't really play music in the house. Uh-huh. No, they didn't. You know, they're fucking, they're working all the time, trying to fucking pay for me and my brother, so no time for fucking music, mate. Fuck that, get the work. Get so you never stuff. even had like a record player or anything like that in the house growing up? Never had a record player. Um... Uh, there was one tape that I found when I was young. I don't know what age it was, but it was very young. Um, it was called Rock Anthems with like Mark Bowen and stuff on it and, you know, stuff like that. And Yeah. <laughs> so like, so that, that would have been the first music that I consciously listened to other than, you know, the marching bands. <laughs> but that's, I mean, growing up in Northern Ireland, like, 
the, the sort of marching bands and all that. Is that when you're first kind of aware of like being moved by music and seeing what it can do to a crowd and all that? So like, you know, um, whatever, whatever side of, the, side of the fence you sit on doesn't really matter. But, you know, there's a there's an energy comes from from the bands, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Catholic prayer or Protestant prayer, it doesn't really matter. Especially coming from Scotland or coming from Northern Ireland, there's a there's an energy at them gatherings, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that music is just it's powerful, you know. Um, so that would have been the first kind of realization of there's like what the fuck is going on here? I don't know what it is, but there's some sort of power there, you know. So yeah. It's mad, isn't it? When you, you even like, like thinking about you know traditional music and all that as well, and it like folk music as well. There's just something in it that just it, it just connects with you, doesn't it? There really, really is. You know, whether it's you know Celtic singers or or whatever, there's just a deep rooted feeling and energy in there. The whether it's just someone singing, you know, and, and no instruments or whatever. There's just a, an energy. I don't know if everybody feels that or just like people that are deeply in the music and just emotional kind of content. And, you know, I feel it a lot. I mean, music moves me to tears quite often, um, which is, you know, a, a, an unbelievable thing. You know, it was only a few months ago, my wife said to me, um, I was playing some old stuff, you know, and she was a, uh, why are you crying? And I was like, like this music is, it's it's hard to explain to people. And she's a fucking music snob, me. You know, she like loves really good music, like um, a lot of the old classic rock and stuff. You know, she gets music. Yeah. Uh, but trying to under trying to explain the old house music or the old rave music you know it's it's different it's hard people i explain it to people and they over here and they just look at me like uh, i've fucking lost the plot you know when i'm trying to explain what it means to me and what it meant to all of us and this magic place that we all were and it's like they look at you as if to say you're fucking must be on something, mate. There's not no nowhere like that ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, fuck that, I was there. I know. I mean, especially like um even when I was like gigging back in the day over in Northern Ireland, I, I could see like from all the like I'm talking 91, 92, from all the troubles and all that, once you got to a rave or whatever, there wasn't a question of you know, religion or anything, it's just everybody going nuts. And I think, you know, I don't know naively, but I think dance music culture helped mend a lot of, I don't know, a lot of ills in Northern Ireland, big, didn't it? Big time. I mean, there was not one Catholic lived in my neighbourhood and not one Catholic lived in my neighbourhood. You know, the, the Catholic school was behind my neighbourhood. I lived in a place called Boring Square and the Catholics would have to walk all the way around to go to school and, yeah. and also we we protestants wouldn't go to their neighborhood and it was not because not because i particularly hated anybody it's just because that's just the way it was yeah do you know what i mean it wasn't you know i've got fucking so many catholic friends man and they're all fucking mad bastards but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know at that young age you don't really know what's going on Yep. And um, it wasn't until 
It wasn't until I went to Hellraiser Rave in 1993. I wasn't even 13 yet. It was uh, in July, 3rd of July, 1993. And I went to see uh, Pablo Gargano, uh, Dream Frequency, um, Carl Cox, um, Maurizio Bracani, he was Liquid Brain, and Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And, um, half a half a half a trip in me, half a wee trip in me, and uh, half a half a rap speed, and uh, thought it was brilliant until the bomb scare. He came on the microphone, and Stefano was like Belfast. It's all on the, on YouTube. Belfast, uh, I can have ten seconds of your time. <clears throat> There's a bomb in the Ulster Hall. Fuck. Uh, so we all fucking, the place will erupt and you can hear them all backstage, like, because the microphone's still on, they're all like, where's Carl Cox? Where's Carl Cox? Get Carl Cox out the back doors. Out the back doors. <laughs> you know, in the big fucking accent. And uh, we all went outside and you've been the you've been back home. Uh, so you you know what the, the police armored cars and stuff are like these are all outside and everybody's coming outside and jumping on top of them and dancing everybody's fucking pure wired up you know what I mean they're like fuck it and we're not allowed in and we all think we're not going to get to see Carl Cox and I remember walking round to the car round to uh, where my, bro- my brother's girlfriend parked the car and we just put the stereos on everybody's coming around everybody's fucking Dancing <laughs> with the boot open and all that dancing oh, around the car. Yeah, really <laughs> electric. And um, you know, then a couple of hours later, word spreads around and we get to go in and, and um Stefano comes back on oh, man and you know, this is the moment Belfast, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Make some noise, Carl Cox. And he just started off with uh polar guest vicious circles. I don't know if you know that off the track, but it was it was the yeah, it was fucking, it couldn't have been any better. The place yeah. was erupted. Oh, yeah, it was just unbelievable, you know. It was just like people were lying on the floor, absolutely annihilated. And there's someone standing beside you sniffing the fucking dump start. Yeah, baby, <laughs> girl, you know what I mean? And um, it was just phenomenal. Actually, when I first went into the rave, I was, I mean, I was really young. And um, that's my dog's bed there, by the way. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was yours. This is my I got into this rave before all my friends. I got, like, there was just this big, uh, massive stampede in the queue. And for some reason, I got carried in. And I remember walking in the doors, mate. You know, I gave them a ticket, then I walked into the, the main arena. And I, I was gobsmacked. I was so scared I walked back out again. Not scared, excited. Yeah. You know, we have all these things hanging from the ceiling and all the drapes and the music's pumping in the laser and the fucking smoke machine and all that. It was just like, oh, fuck. You know, I, I stood in the foyer waiting for everybody else to come in. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, 13, like, oh, what the way? <laughs> 13 year old man, that must have totally blown your mind. It did me, and and so I had been to the arena. I don't know if you know the arena nightclub in Armagh was one yep. of the biggest. And I'd already been to the nightclub, but I hadn't been to a rave. It was one of my old friends took me down. Uh, actually, with Robbie Nelson. It was Robbie Nelson's first night in the arena. They were trying him out. They were giving him a trial to be resident. Yeah, that's how that was, and. Um, 
I don't know if you've ever been to the arena, but what used to happen was just even on the way there, Armagh was always a staunch IRA place, you know. So it was always a wee, a wee bit like, uh, you know, us boys bouncing down from Larn, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, a bit of danger. Yeah, even though the guy that was that was taking me down, his name was Michael Collins. Though I don't know if you know your Irish history, but Michael Collins, if you're going to the IR, if you're going to our man with Michael Collins, you're alright. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be driving down into our man, there would be, you know, like a normal stop sign on the road, but it would it wouldn't say stop, it would say sniper on patrol. Yeah. And you'd be like, fuck me. So you get to the club, there'd be all these turnstiles outside. We would go in and we'd be waiting there on everybody coming out. Now, back in the day, people were queuing up to get into the club at 6 fucking 30, yep. 7 o'clock, you know, because of the licensing laws. You know, it's finishing at 1 o'clock. And um, what they were doing, mate, they were all coming in. And this is the first club experience I had. They're all coming in and they're all fucking lying on the floor. They're all, right. every one of them. Walking in, lying on the floor. Fuck's get on here. It's <laughs> a fucking bit mad. And what happened was, everybody would lie on the floor. Oh, you know. There would be this classical music playing, and the classical music would playing until the club was full. Right? Ah, okay. And Mark Dobbin, who was the resident DJ at the time, Glee's big brother. Yeah would come on and he would give it that it's the weekend. Then he would fucking crack in with a fucking big trance intro and the light would come out of the ceiling and everybody would just get up and fucking start dancing. I've never seen anything like that at all. I've never seen any power of music connecting to people in that instance or by someone a DJ picking a song and connecting with yeah. people in that way and it, it absolutely fucking blew my mind it was crazy so and that was before I went to the first wave so I was real I was so so young so young so um, is, is your brother is Ken is he a few years older than you are you getting smuggled in with him and his mates is that how it's coming about you getting tapes or they're all talking about it and getting you fired up for it well I got smuggled in with them, but not because he was into it before me. I, I, I gave my brother his first trip. I was selling acid at school. I was selling acid at school, yeah. <laughs> and I gave him his first fucking trip. Me, a flying key, it was. Oh, bro. He's nobody fucking right since. <laughs> he's still trying to find them. <laughs> so, so we would, we would, um, you know, we 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 joined the band and all that. You know, the the band. We were in that for a very, very, very short period of time. Everybody, it's just a rite of passageway. And Lauren, everybody joins the band and stuff like that. It just wasn't for us. You know, we were more into the music, but we were in this Protestant band. And I remember we had started getting into trips and stuff. And what we did was we took, I don't know if you know any about marching band uniforms, but yep. they all have these white gloves up here. So we took the fuck, we ripped the fucking white gloves off. <laughs> we ripped the white gloves off, off, of, off the band uniform. And this is even worse. The disco we were going to was the fucking chapel disco. <laughs> and the first, I mean, the first time I, I went up there, I went up and this is fucking bad. So what happened was they gave me, I had taken 
mushrooms, right? I'd taken mushrooms before, but not in this setting. So uh, my friend, Andy Ferguson, he, before we left his house, he racked up this fucking line of white powder and he told me to take it and I fucking sniff a fuck out of it, right? <laughs> so I'm in the fucking disco and the mushies and all the fucking white gloves and all the fucking, yeah, giving it all the fucking thing. And the strobe light comes on. I'd never seen the strobe light as a light before. And I'm fucking running over to him. It's fucking kicking in. It's kicking in. It's kicking in. It was unbelievable. I was like, fuck me. That's fucking great. Have you got any more? No. I thought I'd be like transported into fucking Tron or something. But this big line of fucking, it was a fucking baking powder or something. <laughs> <laughs> Best night of your life, still trying to chase that bus. Uh, yeah, so up the I'm like, what was, what, what brand was that baking powder you gave me about? <laughs> but, you know, um, them early days, man, Jesus, you know, we were in the thick of it and it came at such a perfect time because tension was so high back home. It yep. was so high, you know, it's like there was people getting pulled into, you know, if you're in Belfast, it's not unknown to get pulled into a black cab and get murdered, you know, yep. just for being a Catholic or being a Protestant, yeah. you know, it was, it was, and Scotland was crazy as well, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, well, I mean, I, mean, I don't know if it's, just the age and all that but see when I think about back in the day and all that and even things mad things like I'm not really political right but then you think about Thatcher's Britain and the political unrest and all that that was going on back home in the UK that the the rave scene and all that was almost like a a sort of backlash to that as well in it but then adding all the troubles in Northern Ireland to that madness as well you know, West Coast of Scotland is quite bad for sectarianism and all that as well, but obviously not as bad as, you know, what you're dealing with. But it, it really was just a fucking, I don't know, just this big recipe for disaster, wasn't it? And the rave scene kind of, totally. I don't know, just pushed back on it all and kind of helped fucking chill it everybody helped, out. It helped, you know, it would have been much, much worse if, you know, the, the people, you know, didn't have that, place to rebel to you know it's like it sounds strange when we talk about how tensions were so high and young guys on both sides were able to show their frustration by fighting or petrol bombing or whatever it was and murdering in a lot of cases but a lot of people chose to go to the raves and hug them instead yeah just escape totally like damn the vibes in these places was was unbelievable mate it was unbelievable I mean probably the first time even before I went before I was even old enough sorry because I was never I went to the nightclubs before I was old enough to go to the nightclub but when I the first time I heard dance music in a venue that was for dancing was in Butlins and Air when I went with primary school. When I went to primary school on, on a wee holiday. 
uh-huh. over there and they were playing like terrorize and yeah you know like uh playing with knives and all that sort of stuff that was and i didn't know what them songs were at the time but obviously later on and down the line i'm like oh yeah it's that fucking so so when you're when you're can i get i mean your teenage years in it yeah the rave music's just becoming a thing is it chasing the weekend right from those first couple of times you've went out you just went i want more of this is that what's happening every weekend? Are you listening to music then? Are you getting tapes or where's it where's where's all that coming from? Getting tapes, mate, big cleave Dobbin. Absolute fucking hero. You know, I remember sitting in I was selling pot as well, you know. I guess um yeah, it was like wasn't even grass we had back then, it was just like hash. Just um, solid sort of stuff. Yeah, I just leave five D. A wee fiber, like, and um, yeah, me and my brother, I I was fortunate that my dad, you know, built me a. I got into these in really, really quickly, and my dad built me a, a DJ booth in my bedroom, and you know, I had all the all my friends around me all spray painted up my walls and stuff. It sounds awful, it was. But at the time... By the time you was, probably thought it was the best thing ever. Just, yeah. So me and my brother used to try and DJ and it sounded absolute crap. And we were like, how does Gleave make, you know, these... It sounds like one record. Like this tape. There's no start and stop. It's like... And we can we were just fucking, we were fucking a small life out there. You know what I mean? Sitting with these headphones on, you know, and sharing one headphone. You're not being like that, being like that. And what we used to have to do as well, uh, there was this radio station in Belfast called AWOL. And, um, it, it, it didn't air. We couldn't get it in Lauren unless we took my brother's hi-fi out into my mum and dad's front garden and and, and get all these uh, coat hangers yep. and, t- and fucking wrap them all fucking around. To make fucking an aerial? Get a C90 tape and record it while you're holding the aerial. It's unbelievable, you know, and it was so raw. Like, even back then, like, I talk to young people now about different genres of music and stuff and trying to explain to them, I'm like, there wasn't even anywhere that we knew where we could even buy this music yeah. at the start. We didn't even know what it was called. I didn't, you know, the first time I went to the arena with my friend um, and Robbie Nelson and I was like, so what was that? And, and I remember he said, well, this is house music and that was kind of like uh, techno. And I'm like, but what? You know, you don't even know what the fuck yeah. it called that. Yeah. You know? It sounded um, as if it was from the future, didn't it? Like nothing else. Yeah. Like in, I remember watching like uh, Praga Khan on top of the pops and stuff and like injected with the poison and they'd be like, Yeah. We don't need that anymore. I'm like, Yeah, we fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, I was already done by, I left school when I was 12. So I was just DJing every day, mate. Um, you know, um, 
Just on, on a, a sort of makeshift set of decks that your dad had got you or with a pitch control? Or... Yeah, I started out with my first set of decks with the Cloud 9 all in once. You know, where I had just the two feeders and it yeah. was built out, it was 33 and 45 BPM. Had a wee fucking light and all on there, that fucking shit. And I had them, I bought them, they were £50 from Mark Dobbins' record store, Sounds Good Music, and um, couldn't mix, obviously. And I used to get uh, the end of my cigarette box, you know, it was like, because uh, obviously it was fucking I used to get the end of my wee cigarette box and I get the wee bit of wee bit of paper like that and I used to jam it in between the 33 and 45 and give me a wee bit of variation that's what I thought ah, okay. it still sounded, yeah. sounded like fucking shit so whatever, every, every every time I played a, a track it's like fucking big spin back me at you <laughs> fucking get going you <laughs> but then what would happen would, would be because of her belt drives the elastic band would fucking come off yeah <laughs> Bring yourself, humble yourself back to the game. You gotta take your slip, man. I'll off your fucking platter and get your lassie back on. Get my fucking lassie back, back, get the slip, man, back on. Fucking spin back the next one. <laughs> and that was the, that was the, uh, that was the extent of it. And then, um, I got uh, Technics. I got my first set of Technics, which is the only possession that I still own now. I, the I very same ones from you had as very a kid? Same very same Brilliant. ones. Yeah. What, what kind uh, are they? 1200s. Brilliant. And did, yeah. you feel, did you feel like these are the tools then to do the mixes? Was you making tapes up for mates or selling any tapes? or Still was it? Still can they mix. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Still can they mix. Too many options then, didn't I? With the fucking pitch control. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, i done one mix. The first mix I ever done, I remember my brother was lying on the on, on my bed. Um, I was in a DJ booth and I'd done this mix. He was he had a broken leg at the time and I'd done this mix. I'm like, you fucking hear that? Did you hear that? And it was, uh, it was, uh, fuck, is it Hannah Brown? Yo, who? Jocelyn Brown. Jocelyn Brown. Is it Hannah Jocelyn? Young Hearts Run Free. How oh, he done that? Young Hearts Run Free. Wow, God. Was it like a big vocal housey kind of? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like way out west, done a dub of it and stuff. And they done like a dub and he done a normal remix. And it was actually the two way out west productions I played together. Bum, 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 yeah, yeah, oh, man. And I, I couldn't do it again for about three months after that. I was ready for suicide, mate. It was just so depressing. I could not put two beats together again. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just like such a, a raw, raw time, just with so much determination and just so much want. I've never had so much want for anything in my life as I did when I was a kid doing that. Yeah. I used to play football for Northern Ireland schoolboys and stuff and I loved, I loved football so much. But that was something that we done because that was just the normal thing to do. DJing yeah. something that I wanted to do that not everybody was doing, you know. A lot of people probably didn't even know what a DJ was, other than maybe some guy in Radio One or something like that, you know, like yeah. the seventies DJ. 
It's so funny. Somebody posted a thing on um, my Instagram the other day, and it was like, um, it was a message from years and years ago. I wish I could find it. I hear it is here. Oh, you can't even read it, can you? see that. You need to read it out for us, mate. It says... I went to high school with Fergie. He quit school early to become a DJ. We told him he was mad. What the fuck do we know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, I remember, I remember, I remember it. You know, I, I, I had no interest in school, mate. I was <laughs> worse at school than I was at mixing, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I was just never in class, you know. I was always like uh, given the, you know, this list of paper to deliver the fucking pencils and fucking rollers and shit. Just to, <laughs> just to get you out of class. Yeah, like, <laughs> you're outside the fucking door. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we're fucking you. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I had a great time at school, but no, I didn't learn fuck all. So when you, I mean you're learning to mix and I guess even I don't know if it was the same for you but back then you, you were kind of an outsider if you were like the DJ guy or the music guy it was just like he's a bit of weirdo was you know because nobody really got that did they like that maybe a few you, you were lucky if there's a couple of these in your group who was like mad for music wanted to buy it wanted to mix it but it was kind of like you were like I don't know an outsider definitely it wasn't like now where everybody's a DJ and it's encouraged and it's a work and it's a job and it's a lifestyle where back then it was just like you're a fucking weirdo what are you doing totally and it was I seen a bit of that I seen a bit of that but you know 1992 I first started being able to go to the the reefs just because they were they were not licensed premises or whatever um but then you know, you guys took over to see massively. Like I remember, all my friends were all just on, like fucking mad, getting mad with it. Like just fucking. So that that really that point in time, and you know us yourself because you were involved in it, you were spearhead on it. But that just elevated the whole young youth culture. Yeah, massively, because that energy of the music was even more what, what the young people wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we got a taste of, you know, the, this new music. Like I've got, I've still got, I've been collecting old stuff here, like uh, Homeboy, Happy and Funky Dread, and your uh, PKA Temperature yeah. Rise and all that stuff. So that was my initial. Uh, getting into that sort of stuff but then that was still very growing up music do you know what I mean in yeah, terms yeah. of that's what older people were doing when the harder stuff came then we're like oh my god this is fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking losing your shit to it do you know what I mean it was just an easier and more enjoyable way to get right into it I guess you know what I mean I suppose you think maybe there was an element of like, you know, there's DJs from 
Scotland, Ireland and bands from Scotland and that. And you're going, if they can do it, and they can do it here. This is folk who are like my age or, you know, it was like that, maybe the harder stuff that, was that spoke to you because maybe it was like people your age or, fuck, I could do some of that, man. I'm... We didn't think on it like that. We thought, we, certainly me, I never thought of me as being like, I can do that. It was like, all you guys and all these people that were in the scene were like these mega, 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 mega stars. You're never going to be able to reach that. It wasn't even a thought in my head to be that. It, it was just wasn't even that conceivable like you ever could be that. Mm-hmm. It was just, can I play this music with my brother? And can I listen to this music? And you know what I mean? It was just, there was nothing, it wasn't any bigger than that. That's like was consuming me, like just that part of it. Do you think that's kind of maybe is that is that that kind of Irish Scottish mentality when you're not really I don't know it's almost like you're scared to chase your dreams at that age or you know what I mean or maybe encouraging you or you don't think it's possible because you're just from a wee town or, or something like that and you're not from London or, or there's a big part of that and it's um, there's definitely a big part of that and it's part of why it kind of meant so much as well when it did start happening you know when you start getting the wee bits of word of mouth about and stuff like that and you know what your crew really get behind you like they were loving it when when I started DJing I just my wee mates like even though they used to fuck me off because let me tell you my name was going to be DJ Destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you fucking blown it. You should have kept that. <laughs> I fucking, me, I tried to keep it. I tried so hard. And um, everybody been coming up to me because I knew everybody from when I was playing football. I play, I knew everybody in the neighborhood. Like, I might as well walk down the street with my hand up. Everybody back then did. Everybody knew everybody. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'd be DJing, you know, and I'd be like, uh, great set, Fergie. And I'm like, fucking DJ destruction. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> and they keep coming up to me, you know. You know, I'd see them in the street. Oh, there's me, Fergie, me a good fucking set. No, what time, when the next DJing again, Fergie? DJ destruction. At least you that and I had it all on the flyers and all, like, they wouldn't call me it, like, they wouldn't call me it, it was fucking so annoying. Brilliant. So that's, I got stuck with this Fergie name. So can you remember what your first gig was? My first gig? Uh, it was a place called the Heather Jew, and it was my mate's 18th birthday, 18th birthday party. Um, so I, yeah, I would have been, I would have been, he is like four, five years older than me, so. Which was funny because uh, it was in a place called Glen Arm Larn, and there was probably about ten people at it. And my dad helped me pack up all my. I still had the Cloud Nines at this stage; I didn't have the Technics yet. He packed up the trailer with the speakers, hi-fi speakers, like fucking hi-fi. Yeah, speakers. yeah. Fucking disco hi-fi speakers. It's crazy, but at that time, that's that's your shit, and that's what you're taking. You're rocking yeah. that. I had this light, this light that um. I had this light and a, a rope light and um, 
yeah, my dad helped me pack the trailer up and took me down to this bar, which was called the Heather Dew, which I didn't know was my fucking school teacher owned it. So I'm fucking in there, like, and Mr. Dempsey's like, <laughs> he's like, what the fuck's going on here? But my yeah. dad was me, so it was okay. But um, that was the first, the first ever, the school I ever did, man. Fuck me. The first actual final I ever touched was that fucking track in the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. <laughs> 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 You'll probably play that in Vegas, mate. Fucking classic, man. Still stands up today. <laughs> There's a big story about that on, uh, I think it's at Netflix, about... The guy that actually made that is only the family has only started getting paid for that now millions wow. and millions, millions because um, obviously look how many times it's been used in old movies and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, yeah the the, the like it was Warner's or somewhere had to pay a lot of money out, so it was brilliant. Somebody was ripping them off back in the day or something. Now they've finally sorted it out. Yeah. Fucking textbook music industry, isn't it? <laughs> no, but you know them them. Um, Damn early days, man. Never found. <laughs> it's hard to to describe it, isn't it? You know, you you there's maybe like wee videos and that kicking about and all that, but exactly what it meant to you being there and being part of something that you just felt was like this is nothing like this has ever happened. This is this is different, isn't it? It's not like fucking everybody in denim headbanging and all that to rock music. This was like totally new, fresh. I mean, totally. he, here's the thing. We, we like dance music culture and getting into that. Was you ever into? Did you get caught up in like skateboarding or BMXing or did anything like that get your juices uh, flowing? No, I had a skateboard. No? But, no, I had a skateboard, but I remember I was down on the Larn, down the promenade where we lived. We lived by the sea, and the skateboard was getting down the promenade, and the fucking skateboard went into the fucking sea. That was the end of that. Fuck it. Bye bye. But that was fucking. My dad was pissed off at me now, but. Yeah, you know, that was the end of my skateboarding days. That was it. Um, what else was there? Um, bike. I had a mountain bike for a while. Um, really nice one. Um, just because my mate was fucking selling, he sold it to me for forty pound. Yeah. And he chased me for the money for ages. Me, I was like, ah, oh, you know, one man. I'm a man. I'm a washing machine this week. How long they get my dog? One leg down there, one leg. You know, one leg, you just want something so much, you're talking the biggest lot of shit. Like, Shade to but, get it, I know. But it was just Mongus, California. And it was like the first time they brought out these rare rims and it had all the wee holes all the way around the rims and the wee blue tube was poking through, you know, like, what you fucking do? kill us. I on it, like, like, get the old check knots on there, get some check on the back, you're fucking real. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I was asking, because it was like, it's if that was like the first thing you like DJing was the first thing you kind of got obsessed with because sometimes usually you know like skateboarding or BMX and there's something else that just kind of break dancing and all that kind of nonsense and then boom but you're just straight into the, the DJing yeah, and the mixing Kay's yeah, yeah. catalogue I was into that there when I was really young oh, aye, aye. the underwear section beautiful Excel podcast <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Unbelievable. You could get your hands on a case catalogue because any like Scud Mags usually find them up the country ripped to shreds next to old empty beer cans and all that. Fucking stuff that you learn shit. Like even even when I used to go and visit my granny and granda, you know, I, he would have the papers, read the papers, but for some he would score it at the page three by. Aye. They always fucking score it out. And they weren't even religious, religious like. Just like just, that's terrible. They just must have just must have been for me, like, I don't know. Fucking Turning your dislap. Like I'm like, fuck Grandma, come on the fuck there. Put gears up fucking daily star over you can't <laughs> <laughs> just page three in a wall of it. But um Is the DJing yeah, getting more and more and is the gigs getting more and more? How is how is that building? So I've done them wee discos and then we started putting on events with my friends, you know, and unbelievably I was getting paid fifty pounds from my friends that's great getting a wage back then it was unbelievable me I was getting £50 that's a lot of money as well wasn't it when you think about it it was because I was selling trips at the time (laughs) and I was only getting £1 for every trip that I sold so I'm like this DJ's the ticket (laughs) bag you know what I mean you're you're not not making much money off selling a five deal are you you know what I mean 50 p or something for fun. Get caught with your fucking doing a fucking five stretch <laughs> for 50p. <laughs> you know, but it was a kudos, you know, it was like, uh, it, was, it was just, it was all part of it. You yeah. couldn't take one instance of it away. It was all part of it. It was all part of, you know, the Fergie thing and people weren't even allowed to hang about with me then you know because I'm fucking rolling up fucking joints now you know my wee fucking curtains are all growing like a wee deer that's growing as fucking (laughs) my wee fucking my wee rave gears growing and my wee dossy posse jacket and all fucking you know I'm loving it with my feelers and all man and I'm just like my shit don't stink and you're just like a walking fucking rave machine <laughs> you're doing your life your, what you're talking about and just your clothes and your dancing and, and I know this is going to sound really cliche and cheesy but when we all talked about it it was rave is our religion Aye. And that was said all the time. And it sounds so cheesy to say it now. But then that was our belief and that was how strongly we felt about it. Like it wasn't wasn't a choice. It wasn't like there was nothing else. Nothing else mattered. There was just nothing. The music. Fuck is the music, mate. The music just the connection and it's it's all me talking about them times back then is me being able to have lived you know 27 years now of life and being able to try and articulate what I was thinking back then yep. but I would never have been able to articulate it in this way yep. all you would have just said is it's fucking brilliant this is yep. a religion that's all you would have said. Aye. You wouldn't have known how to say anything else about it. Because you just were a fucking kid. Aye, you know, no, you're absolutely right. 
you know there was no way of expressing yourself other than fucking yeah and I, I mean even listening to you saying that it, and again you probably never even thought it back then but back then you couldn't you couldn't that's you could tell somebody that raves your religion because you know for a fact if you told somebody you were Catholic or Protestant if you said that in the wrong company that's big trouble so telling somebody raves your religion it's just like you know there's no any hassle there. it's just fucking yes to or to or you know to or big time and it was people don't realise that they don't live in Scotland or Northern Ireland it was something that you were asked a lot yep and I got asked it a lot when I went to when I went to Birmingham when I was uh, when I was 16 it was something I got asked a lot but um I was more scared of Birmingham than I was in Belfast. Yeah, but well, we can get to get to how you got there. So, like, how how did that come about? You know, like you're doing more gigs and DJing, and you're meeting more people. You know, for people that maybe don't know, you know, you can maybe. Yeah, so basically, you know, I'd started doing my own little parties with friends and getting fifty pound. That materialised very, very, very quickly. I started uh, working. Um, in a place uh, in Andrum called the Airport 2000. They were paying me 25 pound a gig on a Friday night. Obviously, Marie had gone down a wee bit from the mates paying me 50 but you know what I'm saying. I'll do you that deal, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but this place was crazy. It had like all the paramilitaries going there, and the police wouldn't even go there, mate. It was that yeah. rough. I mean, I remember coming up one night with my brother and there was a half a fucking ear lying on the ground outside and somebody had a big gorge cutting out of the back of their neck with a bottle. It was mad. And one of the first nights I played in there, what was the song? I used to start off with... Space Odyssey. Yes, I actually bought that record in Sterling. What's the record store in Sterling? And then the early 90s, oh, there was some fucking step in, uh, I can't remember. I bought, I bought this record and I bought a load of these stuff on Evolution Records and all that stuff. And I used to play that and the fucking electric went off. The whole fucking electric went off in the club. And these guys, these are all skinheads, mate. You know what I mean? You don't want, you don't want the electric going off in this club yeah. and they're throwing all these chairs in the DJ booth and they're drinking these big bottles remember the big paint bottles of harp that they yeah, used to that's get right. yeah 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 all these big bottles me and my brother's fucking what's that fuck uh, it's, no, it's not even your fault you're just getting the blame on it it's the a, it's a DJ's fault totally and it's just absolute carnage but so that was one of my first experiences of playing in the big club which don't they like that? Like, fucking pay your electric bill, you can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so I played up there, and that was my spot, you know. In the meantime, um, Coldwaterhouse had opened, yeah, uh, which was our big nightclub in Larne. And although I was decent up there, they wouldn't let me in the Coldwaterhouse. How that? They wouldn't even mark when they let me in because I was so young. I was like 13. Ah, okay, it clocked your age. Aye, but I was decent enough. They just didn't care at the other place. And um, they wouldn't let me in unless I was working. So uh, I had to get a job in there. Because <laughs> everybody, all the DJs were going there. What Was you glass collecting in there? I was glass collecting. I got glass collecting, cleaned up. 
did we speak about this before? Did I not meet you? And we had like, we, we, this is when you were working there or something. I'm sure we had like briefly met or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that was a long, long time. Kilwater House, that's the same one? exit 15. That's Kilwater House, or am I getting mixed up? No, that's some difference. So right, right. That's exit 15 is in Dungannon. Right. So, the, and there, that, to your story, there's another Fergie. Ah, okay. Well, so maybe maybe that's what it is. I hope you don't think you're in there being him, do you? <laughs> 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 you're like, uh, talk about Tony, I'm like, hey. <laughs> you're like, uh, oh, no, I'm not. I'm going back. <laughs> but, no, so I had to go and work in this place collecting glasses and bottles. And, um, you know, we were then getting exposed to, you know, people like Danny Rampling, uh, Paul Oakenfold, who they fucking spelled his name wrong on the flyer. They called him Paul Oakenfield. <laughs> I wasn't happy with that. But, um, and I didn't know there was a spelling mistake on it. They told me I'd never fucking known it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, uh, people like Terry Marks were playing there. Do you know Terry Marks from, uh, was he from Power Promotions? You know? I, I I wasn't aware of, of him as a DJ, but I know the name. Mm. He, so you're getting, he, a, you're getting more eclectic mix of DJs, no, just like, f- well, I mean, you've grew up with some good, like Gleave yeah. and stuff like that, you know, yeah. but this is, it's, it's a wider range yeah. of DJs so you're getting to. Yeah. We were getting, you know, we were getting... The music was, yeah, it was getting a bit more eclectic, you know, and the scene was growing as well, you know, and Gleave was obviously playing every night. Um, you know, Gleave, Robbie Nelson, they were the kind of, the main guys, Sticky. Um, a lot of local talent, like uh, yeah. Eel Hooks, Eamon Began, Jacko, Glenn Malloy, Jordy Parker, all these guys, phenomenal DJs from back home. Um, Matthew Roberts, you know, a dream frequency again in bland mm-hmm. the um they played a lot they were fucking cult cult yeah amazing they were cult you know that song we are one nation they played that 19 fucking 82 in the Ulster Hall after you know the bomb scare and all that and everybody runs in the air amazing it, the it, just, it was much more than just a song wasn't it it meant something you know everybody's their hands in the air you know, some people having to hang on that and put in this fucking bag of glue down. Right, they're ready. Fucking <laughs> oh, all their hands are stuck together. You have to laugh. It was so, was so makeshift, but it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, um, so I was working in there and um, um, I didn't really listening think. to even more DJs kind of thing and more yeah, me, music. It was like, it was like I, I always go back to this point. We're talking about Kay's catalogue and stuff. And, and that was just like a young guy, like not knowing what you're fucking dicks for, but you know it's for something good. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> And and then the next stage of that was I remember, and they used to make me wear a red boiler suit. A red boiler suit? Aye. Was that the the, the uniform for the what there? 
up as a uniform. And Mark Dobbins' dad still has it. Wears it. And um, I remember walking around in there and just. Do you remember Calvin Klein brought that first perfume out? What was it, Calvin Klein One or something? CK One. Aye, and it was the girls at the time were wearing like you know the wee short skirts and they put the the, the big long socks on. Yeah, yeah. And walk with it, and then you're like, oh yeah, boy. <laughs> you know, you're just you're just horned up, me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everybody's chewing the face of themselves, like, and you're just like. Oh, wow, wow, she's hot as fuck. You know, and you're just looking at these people, like, and you're just in the middle of this. I just can't even explain it. Just this melting pot of energy and just raw creativity, you know, was, mm-hmm. and, and I always, I love that music more than that period of music more than any other music. Mm-hmm. It's rawness, it's simplicity. You know, it's like people making stuff and they don't really know what they're doing, but it sounds fucking good. Yep. You know what I mean? And they're not feeding in their fucking eye hat. It's just crashing through the window. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, that's it. That is it. That's like the... That's the fucking, that's the magic fucking pushing like, you know what I mean? So I was, I was just being exposed to that at such a young age. And obviously that's where I ended up meeting, meeting Tony. How, um, how did that come about? Is he coming over as a guest DJ? We're talking about Tony V, aren't we? Tony V. So he, a lot, you know, he was coming over a lot. He, he's done, he was playing at Kelly's and stuff like that. And, he really started making a name for himself in 95, 94, 95 and Tony had been DJing for years before that kind of more on the gay scene you know mm-hmm. and um, but with his productions you know 99 floor elevators and burning up and all that he started getting more well known and stuff and obviously trade are you buying these records? Are you aware of them as a, a DJ and an artist? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was buying these records, and when he he had played two times before I was working in Coldwater, and I I was still DJing up at the the nightclub in Belfast, the one the scary one with the police wouldn't go to. Yeah, and I would never take a night off to go and see some other fucking DJ. Man, fuck me, <laughs> I felt fucking spin back. That's good. it. Plus, you were getting paid. <laughs> getting paid. <laughs> Thinking about getting laid, smoking fucking like fog poppers and just loving it, man. I'll tell you one more story before I go on to the Tony thing. But my best friend, Rob, big Rob, absolute. Well, his nickname was Rob Animal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was his surname. Unbelievable. So he would come up there to me, up with me every rave I done or every party. He would always be with me, but he would always fall asleep. Always. And every week he would be up here and he would fall asleep. Like on the clock, he would fall asleep. And um, the doorman would get, all the bouncers like would get all these bottles and tie them all around his feet, tie everything around him. Like, and he would, he would be like, oh, you'd have the bottle of the poppers up his nose. You'd have the bottle of the poppers up his nose. Never enough. You know what I mean? And they would wake him up, they'd put a bad boy in his mouth like, and he'd be like, 
and he'd be waiting up for the potters, man. It'd be just <laughs> absolute uh, carnage, you know what I mean? And it was just mad stuff. You, do you know what I mean? It was just fucking hilarious. But yeah, going back to Coldwater, sorry. Um, so the third time Tony was playing, I was working in the place at the time, and I was like, I asked Mark Dobbin, could I have the night off? I would like to, you know, just experience Tony, do you know what I mean? And um, he let me. Um, and he says to me, well, I'm, I'm going to let you have the night off. Going, I was still fucking, well, wasn't even 15 yet. He says, um, you're going to have to stay in the DJ booth all night. I'm like, that's great. That was him looking out for you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, great, mate, I'll be days. So, <laughs> and, um, I met him and, uh, Unbelievable. I mean, how he didn't tell me to get the fuck out of the DJ booth, I don't know. Every record, mate. What's that called, mate? Oh, what's that you called, mate? I'm fucking writing all this fucking shit down. And he never, he never, he never told me to fuck off or stop pestering him or anything. Like every fucking record, mate. You're just buzzing about him like a mad fucking wasp. And buzzing, I remember he started with uh, Transformer 2, just can't get enough. And I was like, fuck. He's playing K-Doc, the night train and all that, you yeah. know. Quench and like all the fucking, the big bad boys, you know. And um, after, I mean, he absolutely killed it, he always did. But after his set, you know, I'm like, can I, I'll help you with your records. So for people who don't know, most nightclubs back then in Scotland and in Ireland were in a hotel facility generally, mm. a lot of them. So Kawar was, Kawar is a hotel attached to it. So I was like, I'll help you with records up to your room, you know. Fucking, leaving DJ Booth, kind of records up to this fucking room and I'm sitting in his room talking to him, just me and him. And, uh, you know, he thinks it's unbelievable but that I'm DJing and that I'm so knowledgeable about the music and into his music and blah, 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 you know, and um, we were just talking for ages and then I ripped my T-shirt off, I took my T-shirt and all off and I'd been in a bad car crash, you see, and I was off school for six months and that's why I never went back to right. school, nobody, nobody even came and asked me, where are you, come back to school, they were must have been like, happy days, we come <laughs> <laughs> so they were back, and anyway, my ribs are all out of place here. And I wrapped my old t-shirt and all off like and I grabbed Tony's hand, put it on and he was like, he pulls his hand away. And I was like, fuck me, he's a bit weird, isn't he? Not me. I was like, didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And I got his number and all that there. And he wasn't staying over. He was just chilling out in his hotel room. He was going to get picked up to go to the airport because he always had to fly back and do trade in London early hours of Sunday morning. He would never really cancel a set there. And um, I went back down into the party. The nightclub had closed, but there was this wee room underneath the stairs. Where do all the flies go in the wintertime? <laughs> down in the wee room underneath the stairs. That's what Mark Dobbins' dad used to sing when he wanted to have a wee party after cold water. And it was only the wee close circle would yeah. go in there into the snug. But we would just stay in there for days, mate. And anyway, I go back down in there and they're all in there. And open the door and they go, oh, here we go, Fergie the faggot magnet. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't a clue what yeah. we're talking about. No clue, mate. 
you're not walking about in Lauren meeting any guys, mate. They're just, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially at my age. Yeah, you're probably not even aware of what it is. You know, you don't even know. No clue, man. No clue. And um, that was, you know, I hung out down there for a while. Nothing really was said about it. And then um, I was phoning Tony probably three or four times every day. Just what? Just buzzing. Want to know more about the music? About wow, you're a DJ. How do I do this? And all of that, you know. And, he, and he's he picking the phone up when you're phoning him. Every time. Every That's time. That's amazing, isn't it? Pick the phone up every time. The funny thing about it is, you know, I, somebody told me about if you had this kind of uh, old hand. My mum had this phone, and you just put it down. There was a wee button on it here, and you just set it down, and then that was it. It wasn't like the ring one. But someone told me if you do this code, like if you tap the the receiver, the button, no, it turns it on and off. To get yeah, a free phone call. To get a free phone call. I don't know what happened. It wasn't free. My motherfucker was going to kick me out. <laughs> 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 it definitely wasn't free. Look, but um, yeah, I used to phone him three or four times a day, if not more. And um, what happened was then he started, every time he came over to Ireland to play, my, he would have stayed at my mum's. He would have then started staying at my mum and dad's house and wow. he got to know my mum and dad. And, you know, so when the time came that, um, you know, he asked me to go over to England for a week, it wasn't like my mum and dad were sending me off with this fucking Raven Queen, you know? Yeah. Um, they, we knew him, you know what I mean? It was by this time as your family friend kind of thing. Totally, totally. You know, he signed, uh, he actually became my guardian when I went over there. You know, I was only 16. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I was I'm only not stay for a week. But what, what was his, what was his, is it you saying, can I come over and see what it's like over there? Or is he saying, I think it'd be good if you come over and see what it's like in other clubs or how, how's that coming about what's what's going that's on exactly, now that's exactly what it was you know and 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 it's kind of crazy that none of my age was thought of as a a deterrent you know or, yeah. or something that shouldn't happen you know um it never really was for my mum i mean i got taken out of the network club in belfast do you remember the network do you remember yeah, yeah. i got taken out of that when i was 14 and Mom and dad had to come and pick me up at the police station. I was DJing in there. Mm-hmm. And the police came in and busted the place and they came up to the turntables so many turn the music off. Underage. Underage. Uh, but I tried to make up this date for eight date of birth. I'm like fucking me and myself had to be about ten. They took me to the police station and mom and dad had to come pick me up. Well for July nineteen forty two. And that was yeah, that was the first time I got taken by the police for being in an underage or uh, being underage in the venue, but skip that. I don't know why I went back to that. But yeah, so when I was in England, it was or before I went to England, it was never considered that I was so young. And I don't know Tony never looked, he never I didn't I think because I was so involved. I was DJing, he met me in a nightclub, I was doing stuff and it was all you know, he invited me over for a week. And um funny enough, the first night he took me out, I got fucking arrested again. <laughs> what happened there? Oh, this is funny as fuck. 
So he took me to, uh, he was doing a place in Sheffield called The Lead Mill. Really, really uh, revered club. Uh, and it was like him, John the Police Women, and um, Mark Moore was playing. I, I remember because I'll never forget this night. And um, got his, his uh, record boxes out of the trunk of the car, and we're going to start walking into the club. And, you know, Tony says to me, Oh, I, he used to, he'd done that many gigs, he would take a wee bomb of speed, you know what I mean? And he was like, Oh, can you get the, get me a bomb out of the glove box? Like I fucking go and get you a bomb. I don't know what I'm doing, mate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in the car, and um, and I have to say, he, I, I only had drugs with only once the whole time I known him, but this wasn't it. So he sent me to the car. I go into the glove box, passenger seat, open the glove box, get the fucking bag of fucking making a bomb of speed in the Rizzler getting her all sorted and the car door gets opened and a fucking guy's like it's like he goes to me and I don't I still don't know to this day where I got this word from because I certainly this word was not in my vocabulary then and it isn't in it now but I don't know where I got it from they said to me uh, what's that and I go glucose <laughs> glucose <laughs> I don't even know what glucose is, but I had this powder and uh, they took me out of the car. They didn't lock Tony's car. They didn't like take him the keys. They didn't tell him where I was going. They didn't do anything. They just took me to the police station. They'd be on a massive stakeout. You're in the car yourself. You'd nipped out of the car. car. Right. Okay. They took me, they didn't tell Tony, they didn't take his keys, they didn't take they certainly didn't take him as we bomb his speed. He must have been in there Where's that wee fucker? <laughs> he's thinking that he's gonna quit and I'm dancing in the car or something. <laughs> and um took me to the police station and remember back in the days you didn't have a bank card, you had no ID. Who knows mm-hmm. who you are? You didn't wasn't a thing. I don't even think you could have a bank account in them days when you were 16. And um, I don't know, I certainly didn't have one. Maybe my mum just told me that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, so they couldn't prove who I was. They were like, how can we prove who you are? I said, call my ma. And I gave my ma's phone number and um, right enough, they called her and explained the situation. And obviously everybody has to be really fucking pissed off and all this here. And then they eventually told Tony and Tony had to come to the fucking police station he busts in the doors fucking shouting his head off at me like so disappointed yeah yeah and I'm just having the whole fucking knuckles are trailing on the ground here I'm like sorry and all this shit and we I got off with a, a caution because obviously I was so young I, you couldn't, I couldn't actually be arrested so Tony gets, we leave the police station, get into the car, and he's like, thank you, though. It's almost like I can grass him up. Mm-hmm. And um, that was some night, man. We went to Progress after the the lead mill, and then we went to trade. And fuck me, yeah. That's the scene, that, isn't it, man? It's just... First night. <laughs> At any point, you know, things could have just blew up in your face and you'd been back home, you know what I mean? Well, I was meant to go back home and what happened was there was uh, the, the ceasefire broke. There was a ceasefire when I went over to England. Um, 1996 was a ceasefire and the ceasefire broke while I was in England. And Tony's seen all this stuff on the news. It was normal for us, you know what I mean? It was yep. 
And he's like, oh, you know, I think you should maybe consider staying. I'm like, yeah, cool. Brilliant. So that was the end of that. I never went back. Called my mum. Tony called my mum and said, listen, um, explain the situation to you. I, maybe Robert's having a great time and I think he could learn a lot and all that fucking shit. You know, could stay here with me. I'd look after him, like, and that was it. And he, he's really just... He's almost became your father, really, and he's he's looking a, a friend, obviously as well, but he, a father figure. He's he's also feeding you, clothing you. Oh, yeah, him and his him and his boyfriend Andy. You know, Andy's you know um, still one of my best friends to this day. But that was it. You know, I was staying in that house. I was going to all the gigs and fuck me, one of the times. So it was always tasked between me and his boyfriend to load the car up with the records maybe me one time and him next time or whatever the fuck it was <sighs> fuck me the cunt never put the record back in you didn't he didn't he didn't he still blames me for it first day. I, I wasn't going with them on this weekend and I didn't load the car up anyway I'm at Subway City this rave in Birmingham absolutely off my big off clean off it and um, I get a phone call Fucking Tony's at trade. And there's a record to trade. He had a bag of records that he only played at trade. You know what I mean? Because he, he was doing a lot of money pennies and cream and progress. And all these were more more straight than gay. You know, but when he played at trade, he had his trade bag that was just fucking, just for trade. That bag wasn't in the car. Fuck me. They made me go to the fucking house and get this record bag and get on the fucking National Express bus. I wasn't going to get there for time for, for time for him to do his trade set, but I had to get the fucking, meet them at Heathrow. Me, I'm not joking. I chewed half my fucking lip off. <laughs> half of it from being worried, so worried and so sad because Tony was so furious and I was off my nut. Did you feel, <laughs> even though it wasn't your fault, you felt as if you'd let them down sort of thing? I, well, I was kind of at that stage. Was yeah, I was just like, you know, when you start really like, oh, it wasn't even me. It wasn't even my. I wasn't even going my on the trip. I wasn't even putting the bag in. But you know, I understand why Andy blamed me as well because it was easier for him. He had to go and spend all the time. But Tony doesn't want to be in the doghouse. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I understand. That would have done the same thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. That was a really, really... I was in the doghouse for quite some time. And then it kind of, you know, I, I had a great time. You know, Tony was getting me a lot of gigs and there was a lot of resentment. I was, I was going to get into that. Like, uh, not so much resentment, but... So you're over there. Is he kind of like tutoring you and DJing? You're still mixing every spare minute. Is he saying, you should try and do some more gigs? Is he helping you get in gigs? How's the gigs coming about? So he was helping me, started helping me DJ. And one of the, you know, I, he used to get me to make him a CD. I used to DJ up in his bedroom. That's where his setup was. And um, it was brilliant because he had this, the mixer and the best acts when they brought out this kind of, when they used to, this new thing that cut out the bass and the mid, the treble. And it was yeah. just more of a gradual thing, this big rotary thing, rather than just turning the bass off the graphic. It was brilliant. And he used to get me to go make a mix CD off his promos that he would get sent so as he could listen to the promos on the way to the gig. Yeah. So I would do these mixes and um, he would fucking eject them and fucking throw it at the window. 
I'm like, the fuck are you doing that? It's fucking me that for you, can. And he would, he would throw it out. If he heard me pushing the the record around, yeah, yeah, or fucking giving it the. Hey, hey. I heard it. He would throw it, and um, he's like, he really taught me to learn just to use the pitch. Never touched the. I learned that, and I, I always stuck with it. Um, and um, yeah, so he was really, really supportive. Um, then he kicked me out of his house. I got kicked out. Fuck me. Why? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So anyway, I was getting me gigs and all attention was building. All the local DJs were hating me. You know, obviously Tony's fucking shagging me or I'm fucking giving him free blowjobs or something like that. Right, so it's just jealousy and just fucking tittle-tattle and all that. All that. And then I'm Irish as well. And there wasn't a great feeling for a lot of Irish people in Birmingham at the time with all the IRI bombs and all this fucking shit. And it was just anything they could be bitchy about they were. And um, what happened was, um, I my job was to go through the, the the promo records for Tony on a weekly basis. Pick out the winners for him. I go pick out the winners for him, and you know put all the doubles to the side. Um, now he used to have his best friend Alex, real real bitchy queen. Yeah, I get on with him, but he's a real bitchy queen, and Tony and him were best friends. That's what his job used to be. He used to do that. Then he would take all the spare, all the doubles, and take them down to the local record store, Hard to Find, or Global Grooves, or whatever, and sell them. Yep. But when I came on the scene, then I was doing it. You know, Tony said to me, whatever doubles you, whatever tracks you put in my pile for the, the A-list, present any doubles, then you can keep them. So I'm keeping all these doubles. And obviously that's cutting in the Alex's fucking yeah. pocket. So he told Tony I was stealing stuff. Ah, fuck. Uh, he told Tony I was stealing stuff and Tony kicked me out. He kicked me out and uh, I went back to England. I went back to Northern Ireland. I flew back and I thought that was the end of it. Was that kind of messy fallout? You obviously tell him it wasn't you. He's made up his mind like... It's came out of yeah. you, you just fucking gutted go back God. home God, I was back home uh, flew back home on a Tuesday and um, I the, I was meant to play um, uh, with Tony at a gig it was going to be the first gig we were playing together in Burton on Trent a place called The Refinery and um, that was booked for the Thursday night so I was devastated I was absolutely devastated and um, you know Tony was very very distressed when he learned I had flown back home I don't even, don't know what he thought I was going to do but he was very distressed when he heard that I had flown back home and he called my mum and he called me and he he, he said he was he still wasn't like uh, being can you my dog snore I, I was wondering what it was I thought is that a fucking airplane is it your dog snoring <laughs> but um, yeah he he said um you're, you've got a gig on Thursday night and you better be here. That was it, as always said. So I spoke to the promoter who was a guy called Mad Dog Matters. Um, um, and this was the guy that started Sunday Central, but this was before Sunday Central. And he paid my flight to come back. He used my DJ fee and paid my flight. And that was it. 
flew back over, done the gig, absolutely brilliant. Had a conversation with Tony in the car, and he kind of he acknowledged that uh, he knew I wasn't stealing the stuff, but Alex was such a strong friend of his, like it would have it would have been harder for him to not go with Alex. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. It, got, it got sorted out, but I still was kicked out of the house. Yeah. So I had to find somewhere to live. So I'd met a few people there, a couple of gay guys, and this one gay guy let me stay in his house and um wasn't good. Wasn't it wasn't good. There was all sorts of action that was wanting to be taken. <laughs> I was expected to take part in. <laughs> which, uh, a wee bit more sinister than Tony uh, looking after you, sort of thing. This was like fucking. I, you need so sap, pain, and sweat, boy. <laughs> that, that, didn't, that didn't go down too well. And then I had one more friend. I don't mind saying his name because I say this to him all the time and he loves it. And his name is Mantis. And, um, you know, I, I called him. I was like, Mantis, can I come and stay at your house? And he goes, only if I can stay on top oh yeah <laughs> you know so my career's in the balance here <laughs> but I was lucky uh, nothing ever happened uh, like that but um, I stayed at that house that I was originally in one more night and then I seen Tony and spoke to him and he put me in a bed set he uh, he got this bed set for me. You know what a bed set is, right? It's just a room in a house with loads of other people staying. And uh, he got it done up for me nice. And he just said we needed to maintain this kind of um, friendship, but have a distance. Otherwise, it's not gonna it's not gonna work in the right way. So I had to go and get a job. Then I was packing nuts and bolts in a factory five days a week. I was getting like sixty pounds a week. My bed set rent was 40 and then um, spending the rest on fucking 20 fucking Berkeley fucking. <laughs> so it was really, really hard them times. There was no electric in this bed set. There was nothing. It was it just went downhill, 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 downhill. Yeah. And um, but I started getting my I started getting gigs. I wouldn't say on my own. Tony was still very much if Tony couldn't do a gig, you'd be like, why don't you try this? We got it. You know, so he, he got me, Miss Moneypenny's done a gig on a Tuesday night called Jelly Baby. And they tried me out there and I absolutely fucking annihilated the place. What kind and of stuff are you playing then, Fair? What, what, what's the can on your bag at that point? Playing a lot of Shark Boys stuff, like a right. lot of early, good, hard house stuff that wasn't like Kill Your Mother and Father. It was yeah. like, you know, 137 BPM. Sounds fast now, but back then, but that wasn't fast. Yeah. You know, just good fucking, like even playing some. Uh, on Van Helden remixes, you know, Tori Amos, Professional Widow, like stuff yeah. like that, you know. Um, you know, your BBEs and stuff like that. Like a, a, just a, a mixture. And um, just fucking killing it, me. And um, yeah. I, I started getting wee gigs I got around Birmingham. Birmingham at the time was so much stuff going on, you know, then I was doing Decadence and then I was doing Miss Money Pennies. Fuck me. I remember one time I warmed up for Green Park. Fuck me, you must have wanted to kill me. Like, I'm playing for you. <laughs> you just bush it out. <laughs> just didn't know me. It just didn't know, you know. Just did not know. And again, back then, you still, did you feel you're still pretty much cutting your teeth and you're learning your trade? And, you know, 
because it's not until you do it and like you fucking smash out before somebody else and then somebody goes wait a minute there's a night there's a structure you need to think and all that you need to make the mistakes to learn don't you well the hard thing for me was Tony never said to me ever like you know when I had fight with him a lot after you know the first time and um, when I once I came back to England um, he never said anything to me you know, he would actually like give me the best records to play. He's like, play that, that's fuck, they're gonna love that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember I went to Gatecrasher with him one time and when I first came over, I was still 16 at this point and Tony had to go and play trade, but he never he never told me what was gonna happen. He had to go and play trade and he had arranged for someone else to take me home and he was stopping a set 45 minutes early in Gatecrasher and he was like, there's a bag of records there for you I've, I've left you all the good stuff don't fuck it up amazing uh, fuck me okay and, and and I only I remember that story not because I would forget it but there's so much stuff happened but someone mentioned it to me last week on the internet and I was like they were there and I was like fuck me okay so nice. this is this is his set he's ending his set early and just handed it over you don't even know that's just happening I put you a bag of records together there, left you all the good stuff, don't fuck it up. That's what he says. That's fucking incredible, isn't it? It's, you know, as, as a grown man now, fair great, looking back at that, are you, what are you seeing? Is, is he meant on you? Is he seen something in you? What's, what's, what's the angle there? Big time. I mean, he, yeah, he seen something in me and he was just like, just a fucking lovely guy, man. You know, he yeah. was just, I don't know. I don't even know what it was he's seen in me because there was loads of guys like me. All the wee boys, well, maybe they weren't as into it as me. Okay, well, maybe I'm just fucking explaining the reason here as I'm saying it to you. Like, there's loads of people like me. Now, they weren't into it as much as me. Yep. And they weren't as young as me, I guess. Okay, well, there's the reason, I guess. I was just fucking... I saw it by it. I was just yeah, he's, he's seen the fire in your eyes, isn't he, man? He just you know. And um yeah, that was an, uh, an unbelievable experience. But um I um I remember I'll tell you one time I was I was playing with him at Sunday Central and I was this is before I became resident. The, the original residence was Sunday Central was Andy Farley, Lisa Lashes, Johnson A. Kipps, Paul Kershaw. And I was des- desperate. He wanted to be a resident, but Tony, they wanted Tony to play and he was doing gigs for them here and there, but he, because of what happened in the past, he wasn't saying to them, you need to put Ferg on, you know? Um, so I was going around Birmingham doing the bars and doing little different stuff and making a wee name for myself. And then they put me on. And they put me on this gig with Tony and the Sunday Central, mate, just to set the scene, this place was fucking crazy. There'd be people coming in that had bought a toilet from B&Q that would be walking about with this toilet. And I thought, my toilet seat room. There would be people that had brought in a basketball net and they'd just be walking about this fucking basketball. There would be people, this is no word of a lie, when Jules used to play, there would be people used to come and sleep in bags. And when Jules went on, they would pull the sleeping bag up and land the dance floor. <laughs> Just anything to freak everybody out. Just mad. It was mad. It was absolute carnage. You know, sort of, it was just crazy, man. It was crazy. 
And I remember this one time, they give me a gig. They give me a gig. And um, the music I was playing, like I was playing the old brainstorm stuff that I first heard and the raves at Belfast, come on in, spin it up, Jaha, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the old special technology piece that were called, pop the, pop the, pop the bass, pop the, pop. like, and I, I had got hold of all these vinyl and I, I played all that stuff. And I was playing before Tony, and then uh, John Kelly was on after Tony. So I do my set, Tony comes in, and, um, you know, I'm, fucking getting wasted, getting fucking on the drink and all that, getting ready to finish my set because I know I'm getting on the dance floor to get fucking annihilated, like, you know what I mean? And I'm on there, Tony, and I'm on the dance floor. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm fucking showing Tony I'm having a good time and all that. <laughs> Tony goes to me, he goes, Ways man, the DJ booth and slide is fucking there, mate. I calls me the DJ booth, and he says something to me, and points over, you know, on the DJ booth. For some reason, paranoid at the not, I thought he fucking says to me, you know, I I I go and start getting all the glasses and bottles and taking them out the DJ booth. I go up to the bar and I get you know the old beer mats, they used to get the old beer tags. Yeah, yeah. And throwing the water on it, and I'm waiting and everything doing, waiting doing the DJ booth. <laughs> and the ashtrays and all that. And he goes, What are you doing? I said, You're trying to clean the DJ booth. He says, No, John Kelly's cancelled. You're on next. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, What the fuck? <laughs> so, anyway, I'm fucking shitting at me, you know, and I'm going through my records and all that there. And I'm like, Oh no, this is like, Oh shit. And matters could the promoter mad dog like everybody in the club they could see I'm clearly really enjoying myself <laughs> and, too much uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know matters uh, didn't want me to put a record street on he wanted to introduce me and, and take Tony off and stuff because it was yeah it was Tony's first time doing it and that and um, he just you know said loads of good stuff about Tony and said loads of good stuff about me and I'm having to fucking put my because my fucking my fucking chin's going like fuck, and um, he fucking lifts my he pulls my hand away and puts my hand up in the air and, and he's saying my name and all and I'm fucking like smiling like fucking my chin's like <laughs> and the place was just fucking erupting me and I go on and start DJing and every the whole place was with my you know and I'm like fucking mixing and putting my hand and like fucking (laughs) (laughs) it's just a phenomenal you can't even get stuff up you know it's just do you think do you think the ravers seen something in you they've seen a guy their age that they can relate to because you know back then as well I think the DJs were all 30s 40s and they're playing teenagers where they're looking up and they're seeing a teenager playing the tunes you know, you could be their mate, you were their mate, you know, and they're just identified with you. Totally, that's what that's what the magic was, and it was a gimmick without me knowing it was a gimmick. You know, here I am, this young kid that's getting wasted and DJing and playing the music, and I'm the same age or closer in age to these people on the dance floor, and they just see me as being, you know, one of them. And I think what you said is absolutely right. Until that, there was nobody that was really doing anything that was breaking that kind of circle of your DJs of your Carl Cox your Paul McFoy your Fatboy Slim your Danny Tonight days and, and 
all these people. Yeah. Nobody had penetrated that. And um, yeah, it was just one of them. You couldn't, I couldn't have stopped it if I tried me. It was yeah. just building and building and building so much momentum. And, um, you know, then, uh, I mean, the first tour I went on, Tony took me to South Africa and stuff. And it was just, it's just there was just so many amazing things that was happening in trade to let everybody know what happens at trade the same DJs played every week nobody would take a week off it was Alan Thompson Malcolm Duffy Steve Thomas Tony DeVee Ian M Pete Wardman Paul Paul on at the end and um, you would never get a set in trade if Tony took a weekend off for some crazy reason then Steve Thomas would do an extended set they never let anybody new people in but what they did once a year was have this thing called the Trade Test Lounge, where um, it was in the back room, and um, you could nominate someone to play. So Tom, Tony nominated me, and obviously, you know, Tony was the biggest trade DJ there. So when he nominated me, it was a big deal. And um, when it was my time to go on, which I got to the club twelve hours early, I was so nervous. Yeah, yeah, just twelve hours early, man. <laughs> so nervous and um, you know it's my time to go on and obviously because Tony nominated me then all the DJs the club owners like all the everybody all the real queens are like in here to see this yeah pressure's on fuck me mate this fucking I put my first record on and I just kept jumping and jumping they had this big huge monitor speaker and I don't know if it was too loud or whatever I'd turn it up or whatever and it just kept and this big fucking queen comes over full on fucking big wig and everything. Just fucking takes the tune gum out of his mouth and fucking puts it on the fucking, on the needle. <laughs> <laughs> Never before, right? It was brilliant. He couldn't make it online. Or no, we... It was just, just a, an incredible, just these stories, mate, you know, it was yeah. incredible. It was a scary place, you know, the first time I went to trade, you know, Tony takes me in there's walks you through a place called Muscle Alley. If you want a picture of scene set the scene, if you remember the, the the scene in Blade where the it's dark and all the fucking blood starts coming yeah, down. Yeah. That's what it was like. Only it's these big muscle Marys. And the wee hot pants and all fuck. Yeah. The, the, the wee fucking butterfly wings on the back and all that shit. And it was very, very intense. Very you know, and they're kissing and stuff like that. And it's like, it's real hardcore stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't really think anything off until I fucking threw a pill in me and I'm fucking dancing and I take my top off and all and I'm fucking getting out. And then I'm like, it really set into me. I'm like, <laughs> and then after that after that I wouldn't I wouldn't leave the DJ booth the DJ booth was soundproof and had a big lock on the door and nobody could go in <laughs> and uh, that was me I was like that was my first time at trade and I fucking hated it hated it and they could really tell that I was having trouble with it and um, you know the, the the owner Lawrence Malice came in who's just a phenomenal guy he just said to me, he said, listen, you know, it is what it is, blah, 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 blah. If anybody says anything to you, just give them a kiss and that's fine. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. You know, I just fucking started hugging people and kissing them. And um, everybody loved me and it was totally fine. 
Brilliant. The Sharp Boys came in. I'd been playing loads of their record, loved them, as I mentioned earlier. So I was so excited to meet them, Stephen and George. And I'm telling them this, and I love you guys. They're like, oh, okay, hold on. And he went and got me a t shirt, Sharp Boys t shirt. And they're like, yeah, put this on. And I'm like, get the fucking top off again, get the wee nipples and all it, you know what I mean? <laughs> get the fucking t shirt on me there. And uh, I'm walking about with the Sharp Boys t-shirt on, so proud and like, yeah, I fucking love these guys. And uh, later on the way home in the car, Tony goes, you know, like what, a, like you're basically an advertisement telling everybody that they're fucking you, right? That's what they do. They give their little chicken the t-shirt, so as everybody knows that you're their meat. Jeff, we a free t-shirt. <laughs> no. oh, great, great times, but um, yeah, and and you know what? And I did get the privilege of doing a Tony set when he wasn't there, obviously because of the, the connection. So Lawrence was like, "Okay, you know, we're gonna give Fergie Tony set." You know, uh, when he had a, I don't know where he was, maybe he went to America or something like that. And, mm-hmm. You know, at that I was always trying to break out of the hard house thing trying to be more crossover from just playing hard house stuff yeah did there come a time when because could you very much rode the crest and wave with that hard house scene didn't you and then obviously there came a time when you've went now nah, I, I want to do a wee bit more than this and i remember when you sort of moved it's almost like a big hullabaloo wasn't there everybody was oh how dare he you know turn his back on us and all that and you've just went look i want to grow and play other music but there was such a fucking it was like you let the world down wasn't it it was, must have been a lot of pressure on you man so I'll tell you about that later because it's such a such a point in time and just yeah my life it was crazy but I got uh, yeah so I was always trying to and I'd be DJing what you know like six years by now. I mean, some people's DJ careers don't even fucking last that long. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm still fucking not even old enough to be in the club. So, um, you know, I was just constantly looking to evolve, you know what I mean? So it was a big thing for me to do Tony set at trade, you know, because I knew I was going to bring a more, uh, a, well, I don't want to say a more commercial feel to it, but just not straight up hard house. You know, I was trying different things and it was absolutely brilliant. They loved it, you know, um, and you would know if they didn't love it because if they didn't love it, they would kick the fuck out of the DJ booth door. Yeah. They were so vicious. They were so musical, musically turned on. Like they, if they didn't like anything, they would, they would like, you know, big time. So it all went well. And, um, you know, I got to play a couple of times in there. And then obviously, uh, Fucking Tony fucking died, man. How, how, where were you when you found out about that? Was you, had, was you still close, still gigging together? Big time, yeah, so close. I mean, I was the uh, second person he called. Um, he was live on Kiss FM. Um, what happened was, he, his friend Alex, who I told you about earlier, you know, fucking, you know, wee bit promiscuous, like the, you know, hooking up with guys um, a lot 
and um, he's a bit of a slut I just say it <laughs> <laughs> that's a technical term I just get in there man fuck it and I love you Alex um, but um, um, so he wanted to go and have a, a test an HIV test and Tony never even went to the doctors ever so he agreed to go with Alex and uh, got the results back a couple of weeks later and obviously Alex was clear and Tony was positive wow and, I, and he called me he was playing live on Kiss's radio show on a Tuesday night Kiss FM and he fucking called me he was like told me in between when he was playing records and then he would call me back and then he it was and then he called my mom he said I'm sorry I should have called you first but I told Robert and blah 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 and yeah it was fucking crazy man and I didn't understand it you know what, what? I mean I didn't, I didn't know that was my kind of question to you because back then even though you're 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 involved in the clubs and the sort of lifestyle, there wasn't much knowledge about that disease back then, or it was very much a kind of I don't know something that just it was happening somewhere, wasn't it? And yeah. then you're that's you you're right in the middle of it. Somebody you, close totally. to you, somebody you love, telling you totally. that. Totally, it was just so crazy. You know, and it was eight months to the day from he found out the day he died. Wow. Eight months. You know, I remember going to the gigs with Tony. I was now sitting in the back of the car with him. I was on medication and his medication, they just couldn't get it right. You know, so his medication was that um, when he said that when he was walking or standing or whatever, it felt like he was walking on cut glass. Because his feet it really affected him, but he was still DJing. And I was driving and driving to the gigs with him. His boyfriend was driving. I'm sitting in the car, back of the car with Tony, like massaging his calves and rubbing his feet and stuff like that. And he was, he was still DJing, finding it terribly, terribly hard until he, uh, um, Ports, Plymouth. Plymouth was the last gig he ever did. Miss Money Pennies, he just fucking collapsed. And, um, Actually, during his set, he's, he's collapsed. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he uh, went into hospital and fucking didn't commit. You know, I was in, and, and, and I was still, you know, my job was to be going through his vinyl. And I put a record box ready for him, you know, getting a record box ready for mm. him coming out. Didn't happen. The last night I seen Tony was um, the night England played Argentina, and it was Michael Owen's debut. It was the night fucking Beckham got sent off, and... I remember me, Tony's boyfriend, Andy and Tony, were sitting, you know, Tony fucking eat at football, but we just had it on. And we smuggled some Budweiser's into the fucking hospital room. No, we, we didn't think he was going to die. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember Tony had a wee sip of the Budweiser and it was, it's just mad, me. Like, it was just fucking, you know, it was like, this oh, wasn't good. It just wasn't good. And, and I was leaving and he says to me, um, and it really fucking broke my heart because he fucking said to me, um, he said, I don't, and I don't know if he must have knew, but he, when I was leaving, he fucking, he, he said to me, like he, he hugged me in and he was really thin, me. He was, um, he said to me, uh, he said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see, get to see, get to see what you can do. Fuck. And that's what he said to me. And I was like, 
I didn't take any heed of it, you know what I mean? I just hugged him and fucking talking about seeing the Mora folks. Yeah, yeah. And that type of thing. When I was at work and he fucking called me, he'd fucking eat AM, man. He's fucking dead. They just, your, your world's fucking ended right there, stopped. No, ended, stopped. You... Ended me, I was, uh, I was, I couldn't even look out the fucking window at night time yet. I don't know why, but I was scared that I would see Tony. Like I was living in this bed set and I was like, I was, I kept thinking that, not that Tony would ever harm me or he was a bad influence on my life, but I, I remember I just couldn't even, I was scared. I was frightened and I don't, I still don't know why, but I was frightened of seeing him. Isn't that mad? I don't know what it was, me. I just, is, I just, is, is that maybe you're just your grief and you're maybe beating yourself up because you just, his last goodbye to you, you've passed it off thinking, I'll see you tomorrow. And then uh, tomorrow never happened. And maybe that's just your, you try to deal with processing that. It was, that was just a crazy, crazy time, you know what I mean? And um, then we had, you know, the funeral and, you know, after his funeral, it was 10th of July, after his funeral, he had, he was meant to play that night, it was a Friday, it was, he was meant to play that Friday night at God's Kitchen. His fucking mum and dad wanted me to do the gig. So I had to do the funeral and then go on, do his gig. And, that would have uh, been a hard gig for you to do, man. Uh, but me, mate, it was hard, me. I remember, so I the records I played was a bag of records that I was getting ready for Tony to play when he came out. Fucking hell. So that's what I played, and I remember, um, and I I wish I lost this photo. I only ever had one photo of me and Tony, and I took it that night, and I had it in the, the little of the record box, and it was just very, very crazy, emotional, and everybody was there with me. They were just yeah. a whole place was just, I mean, it's still a Tony on the flyer. It was me DJing, his mum and dad are in the DJ booth, and it was just fucking mad, man. Yeah. It was mad, it was mad, 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 mad. And then um, some people were just idiots. I, uh, the promoter, Tyrone DeSabry, came up to me after my set. He goes, uh, brilliant set. Tony be really proud. Um, I'm going to really pay you what you're worth and um, give me 50 quid. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just like, uh, not that I it was money. But the money was just that, that someone would be just so, even be thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about that, but someone had to make a point to insert such a bad vibe do you know what I mean? I uh, just just snap into cold business mode when it's much more than fucking. And just even more than that, just taking you even, you know. And it was anyway. Fuck him. I think he's fucking in Parmac or something. Like that. But um, but uh, where are you going for the Fergie? What's what's your mindset? Um, I actually flew home. I flew home for a couple of days and I went, I was on the 10th of July, I flew home on the 11th and went to the local bonfire, you know, I'd done things. So I was going to just do things I'd done when I was a kid, you know, yep. 
just back to your comfort zone almost with your friends yeah and, and I didn't I couldn't even do that it was horrible I just you know that whole tense vibe I just didn't feel comfortable there I, went, I actually went with my mum and dad and we left and we just went home and stuff like that and the next day I went out it was the 12th of July marches you know obviously I went out tried to do that with my friends get in the fucking creates a fucking stagger and fucking all that shit in you and uh, it's just it was mad you know and Did you just feel a million miles away for everything yeah it was just another stage of really going up and just kind of being like on another level and then what happened was you know the gigs started coming in thick and fast because all the gigs only had booked then and everybody wanted me to do them <laughs> So then it was just unstoppable. It was just this fucking juggernaut, 100 miles an hour. It must have been bittersweet for you because here you are doing what you've always wanted to do, playing amazing gigs, and you've 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 lost a guy that was instrumental in getting you there. You're doing his gigs in his honour, carving a name out for yourself. Oh, there's this mad shit's going on. It's mad because you're like, well, I'm. this is like more than I could ever have dreamed about in one way but it's the biggest nightmare yeah like more than a nightmare you know so it was very very hard to understand what was going on and I'm a kid me I'm still yep. 17 fuck I never even thought about that man you're still dealing with fucking just 17 year old head I'm just 17 mate you know what I mean so you know it was crazy crazy you know and you know then I'm on every fucking the momentum just kept building I'm gigging like fuck then I couldn't have fucking paid a PR company to get me more press I just was coming at my ear holes mm-hmm. then I went to America and got prison got put in prison fuck's sake oh, wait a minute How, <laughs> what is this when you're 17 you've went over to do a gig in America 18 I was 18 Aye. What the fuck? How'd you end up? Yeah, that year Tony died. Um, oh fuck me, I missed the Ibiza. Holy fuck! <laughs> I went to Ibiza in September for Tony's memorial party. At, uh, trade, we're doing a memorial party, and they wanted Andy's boy, Tony's boyfriend, Andy, to come. And he said, "I'm not coming unless you put Fergie on." So obviously, they were putting me on at the club and stuff anyway. But, but it was Tony's memorial party, so all of Tony's friends and all these DJs wanted to pay their respects so it was very hard for them to although they see me as being close to Tony there was other people that had been in Tony's life a lot longer than me yep. but Tony, Andy was adamant that he wasn't going to go unless he put me on yep. so they had to put me on so I played my first experience of DJing in Ibiza was I played at Space wow what, what an amazing first gig played at Space played at Privilege and fucking done back to back on Bora Bora Beach for Smoking Joe Amazing. so it was raw you know it's a baptism uh, of fire for a beast isn't it it was you know and, and, and it was really scary again you know because I had the pet shop boys all dancing and boy George and Danny Rampling on all and and uh, Space and just meeting all these people and it was just like wow you know um, and then um, the party continued you know I don't even remember Manu Mission Hotel it's called yeah. Pink Pussy Hotel you that know, was the maddest there. fucking just place debauchery me I mean this big vagina above the bar and stuff and it was just midgets fucking having sex with fucking people and it was just absolute carnage and I remember lying on the roof 
with all the crew. Just they absolutely smacked it and um, just talking gobbledygook. And Lawrence, who was the only three of them to go back to the hotel, and then he fucking put the lips on me, mate, and that was it. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to fucking throw the old tongue in me, man. Fuck. You know, and it was honestly, I'm not saying nothing bad to Lawrence because it was such an emotional time for everybody, mate. You know, it was like and I don't know, like he obviously I was really close with Tony. He was so close with Tony and we were just back at the villa. This it was beautiful. I mean, it's the scene for like, if I had have ended up marrying Lawrence Malice after this scene, you would have said, oh, that was just a beautiful <laughs> thing. But it wasn't, that wasn't a game yet, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and he tried to throw the tongue in me, man. And um, I fucking walked off, man, and went into my room. And I was just fucking crying my head out. Like, and I just thought, you know, that's the end of, you know, my trade career mm-hmm. because I thought, you know, he would have been really embarrassed. And um, it wasn't when I got home after that trip, he made me resident every week. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Because yeah, oh. I didn't. Because I didn't, you know. I, I, yeah, you know, I made a big kerfuffle about it. It just wasn't happening. And he probably respected you for that. Totally, you know. And listen, these guys were mad. I remember taking them. Best mate, Rab, tell you about him. They were going to Rab Animal, like Rab Animal. They fucking, you know, they were, he was had to leave Northern Ireland for some reasons, and I took him to Ibiza. Fuck me, the guy turned up in Ibiza Airport. And there's never been somebody closer to Rab seen Esbit than fucking Rab Animal. <laughs> he had a pair of daughter's boots on me, three pair of shorts, string fucking red vest. That's all he came with. Like, how did he even wear this? You weren't wearing this in Lauren, <laughs> That was interesting for him. <laughs> how did you get it? Anyway, so I took him out. El Davino, fucking all the rest of it, wiped it. And he had to get home to the villa. He was staying with me and Lawrence and Rod from trade and all that. And, and I, I still partying me, he and him. And I came home from the villa, mate. I came home from the club. And Rob doesn't care, his story's funny, like... And <laughs> I came home from the club and uh, I go through the fucking gates of the villa, mate, and I can see the other owner of trade, Rod, sitting be- beside Rab. Rab's naked and Rod's fucking sucking his cock. <laughs> Rab's fucking, sl- Rab's out for the count, like. <laughs> Rab's out for the count. Rob's out for the count and I, yeah, I didn't go over anywhere near him like until Rob came to see me later I says you know what happened right Rob was sucking your cock he goes I don't give a fuck he was sucking it as long as he gets sucked <laughs> living the dream he didn't care mate. he didn't care they were lying by the pole like fucking Caesar mate. you know what I'm saying <laughs> he has the animal after all Rab Animal, yeah, he didn't care. And um, them, it's just epitomises them times, mate. I mean, that's probably a bit different from a lot of people's, but it was extreme, but it was... I'm just excess, eh? Totally, you know, but then after that, when, you know, I used to sleep with Lawrence every every time I was in London, you know, I would sleep in Lawrence's bed. You know, mm-hmm. I would stay with him in his house in London and he just, you know, 
he created the trade DJ agency around me. I released the first, the new trade record label. I put the first release on there. So this whole big brand, I was really becoming a part of it. And, you know, there was just lots of love there from Lawrence and he really just really was, really looked after me, you know, and I've just felt super safe with him. And, you know, so it wasn't like, there was no issue. I was never confused with my sexuality, you know. Mm -hmm. And how and when did the, it's building up to like, you know, like, I don't even know, is superstar DJ thing getting batted about then? But when did you, was there a time you went like, I, I, I've made it, or, or I'm a DJ, this is, you felt confident in what you're doing and all that, you know, like, is that, we getting close to that time or have you ever felt that? Or? Yeah, I felt that when I was in Ibiza and I went into the DJ Mag Top 100 and it's, it was the highest new entry ever then and it's still the highest new entry now. I went straight in at seven or eight, I can't remember. Let's just say seven, seven, sorry, seven, seven, seven or eight anyway. And um, that's the point when I was in Ibiza and I took all records out of my box and said, I'm not playing Hard House anymore. What what's what's triggers you to do that? You mean just wanted to change me, you know. I think I was like twenty at this point, you know, twenty years old and you know, I've been DJing for a long time and just was bored of the hard house scene. It wasn't moving forward, it was getting faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, you know, and here's me being now looking at DJ Mag Top One Hundred and it's like me, Carl Cox it's Danny Tanaglia, Paul Oakenfall, Fatboy Slim, you know, all these people and me. And I'm like, hmm, who's the odd one out here? <laughs> what was, did you feel like you, you weren't credible enough or you couldn't, you're in a different league to these other guys? Different league, totally. You know, right. different, different, like, uh, different galaxy. You know yourself. These people are like Carl Cox. Come on, what the yep. fuck? It's fucking Cox is like the fucking Pope, mate. You know, know what I mean? It's, isn't it? It is, you know. And it's like, uh, so it was, it was. I was just bored. I was frustrated. I was wanted to have credibility. I wanted to step out on my own. I was Tony's protege. Even you know, and here I am you know, a different level in my career now and, and and I want different things from it. I was maturing and I was understandable as maturing. I'd been doing it longer than people that were dancing to me. Even, you know, I was just so young and I'm, I'm at a lot, that was a long, you know, that's like eight solid years of intense music learning, crowd learning, just yep. everything. Of course it's going to change, you know. And, such, um, such a bold thing to do as well it, it, questionably the peak of your career just to go nah I've had enough now I want to change direction totally so you know and part of that was you know um, not understanding not understanding what was going on and part of it was wanting just to be Fergie the guy that was playing in his bedroom wanting mm -hmm. to change what he was playing in his bedroom Yep. But you're the guy for you playing in your bedroom. You're the guy worldwide playing fucking low, hundreds of gigs, you know what I mean? Getting yep. paid a hell of a lot of money and headlining well, biggest clubs in the world. And and people are expecting that music from you. So, and I, 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 
you know, I didn't really know where to go with it, you know, because I was a music lover and I loved so many different stuff. So I'm trying to put all these different styles in my set. And, what what you know, year is this? What year is this? 2000. 2000. Mm. 2000. And if you listen to my 1989 Mix Mag CD, the Hard House thing, the Hard House is very slowed down, more chuggy, groovy stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, is that the one you're lining the Red Bull cans and all that? Aye, cracker. Well, go out in the bedroom wall. <laughs> Danny Tanagda told me as well at the uh, Ericsson Music Awards that he had it on his fridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was, I'd been moving away from it, you know. Um, but, yeah, when I was in Ibiza, you know, I... I I was so hard. There was people bringing, remember they used to bring things that said tune on these big cardboard things? Yeah, yeah. Bringing like harder, fuck Fergie and like all really bad stuff. And, you know, I just had the soldier on through me and they were fucking hating me. Like they were hating me. Because you're changing your style. They're not accepting that. Yeah, because I was changing my style and they just, they hated me. They hated me because I was, uh, disrespecting Tony's legacy I was you know just I don't know what they thought just I was just thought I was you know on another level or something whatever yeah. but the main thing was that um, people just were so into the hard house and into Tony and into that whole experience they I guess they grew growing up with me you know and yep. I was there Carl Cox yeah you know I was there. What Carl means to me, I mean, mean yeah. these people. And I didn't realize that at the time, you know, I just thought they were pissed off. And, um, you know, looking back at it, it was like what they were annoyed at was I had taken all their memories away from them because by me changing music, they didn't want to, they didn't want to have me in their life anymore. Therefore, they didn't want to have their memories of me in their life anymore. Mm. And all this passion was overflowing. Mix that with, this was the beginning of um, message boards and the internet. And people Aye. get that, and that was so hard. I used to that just was, avoid them like a fucking plague, man. They're just mental, man. So hard, you know, because we were kids, you know, and, and you're thinking, well, if I'm reading this, it's real. Yeah. And it wasn't. Yeah. That's right. It was chat forms, wasn't it? But they were fucking re- bizarre, yeah. really cliquey, really horrible. You know, if you if you're doing well, great. But somebody says something in the in the clique, everybody's just in on you, man. Just fucking pounding away. They can say anything they want. They're not saying it to your face. They're the tough guy, aren't they? Oh, brutal. fucking brutal. It was brutal. It was so hard. You know. So what I started doing then was I just started, you know, flying loads of my friends around the world with me. I'm filming in jeopardy with my friends and just getting wasted and playing with them. Well done. Well, thank you, boy. Phone mum. She'll sort you out. That's my boy. 18 years old, Fergie. <laughs> it's Aizel. He's <laughs> what I love to his football. He's on it, eh? Plums. His mum's got to take him. <laughs> I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Uh, no, so, what, what, you've just started flying your friends to gigs just to what bring back the party or just to be with me and just uh, you know I was just needed the vibe off them and 
I just didn't know what to do. You know, I'm like headlining all these big festivals and it was like, it, it must have been like people were paying in to see uh, James Bond movie and uh, Austin Powers comes on or something, you know, yeah. and like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, but at the same time, at the same time, you know, as an artist, you're, you're fucking, you know, you're, you're just spreading your wings, you know what I mean? There, there will be a lot of people who've came to see Fergie Hardhouse and then been turned on to this new music. You know, you're opening a lot of eyes and you're you're steering people into music. They're, they're growing in their music taste through your bold decision. Exactly. And it was a lot of hard decisions. I mean, remember Steve Thomas approached me to mix, to do a mix. It would have been my first ever compilation was the Triple E tracks compilation. Triple E tracks is the biggest hard house label at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was definitely the most credible um, coming from a trade perspective. Um, that's kind of, they were most cutting edge. And um, he asked me to do the mix compilation. I knew that I couldn't do it um, because it would just be cementing me back in that. So I had to yeah. say no. And then um, Jules got me an essential mix. And um, that people loved it. And, um, so did you get in there with that your new style the new music you were loving you just gave it yeah. all the new stuff yeah. and um, Radio 1 approached me to come down for a pilot to do a pilot they were like oh, this is not going to work I mean, uh, the boss said to me says uh, we love your vibe but you sound as if you have a coat hanger stuck in your mouth <laughs> the way you're talking I was like right so that was the end of that then Matt Priest called me and he goes, uh, we're going to do something at Radio 1 we've never done before. We want you to be a part of it. And we want you to be the first ever resident essential mix DJ. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, and they said, and we, we're, we want you to do it alongside Carl Cox, who's going to be the other one. And I was like, fucking hell, this is crazy. Because Carl was the first to agree from Belfast. And here's this all coming together and I just couldn't believe it you know so I've done like 13 essential mixes the date so I've done a lot you know I'm like in the top 10 ever amount of essential mixes so I'm fucking proud of that man that's like a fucking big deal to me yeah I man my essential mixes everybody knows what they are you know totally. and, and they asked me to do it so I've done that for a year and then they asked me if I wanted my own show. I said, yep. It was very hard. They gave me Danny Rampling's show and um, loved Danny, which was bizarre for me again because I used to sit in my bedroom smoking dope and listening to Danny Rampling's Love Groove Dance Party on a Saturday, you know what I mean? And I'm reading about Danny in the magazines and stuff and now here they are offering me this show. I remember one of the best ever comments I read on the Radio 1 message board It read, why trade in a Ferrari for an escort? <laughs> it's fucking it's horrible man but obviously you can laugh at it now and just oh mate yeah you know and 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 then they had this uh essential relief dj competition it was me pat Boy slim carl cox Tong, john carter darren emerson and uh, i was in australia I had to fly back from it and um then I ended up. I was in the, the I was in the semi final with Coxie, and obviously I won. 
and then I was in the final with Fatboy Slim and I won that. I didn't even Fucking know one. I didn't even know one, and it was people phoning in, you know. And I'm just telling you that story because these people were absolutely legends, and they're huge. And I'm not saying that I'm fit to stand on the same stage as them at all. I'm not. But at that time, momentum with me was so high that people were like, they were, you know what I mean? It was just yep. one of them things, you know. Like you can, I want to reiterate, I'm not saying that I'm. I couldn't even clean Carl's shoes, me or Norman's or any of them guys. They are institutions. Do you know what I mean? But at that point in time, it was just right for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, mate, just... but then to everybody who's into what you're doing, like you said earlier, you're their Carl Cox. You know, you're their guy. You're their institution. You know, and because... <laughs> it's, you you can't see that. You know, you can never see what other people see in you sometimes, you know? And, yeah. and you know you try you try to kind of break it down because I don't know I, again it's just that Scottish Irish thing you know like you just don't you kind of go yeah I'm fucking brilliant you know <laughs> somebody else would say that wouldn't they either way yeah. <laughs> that's right but, yes but, I'm amazing thank you <laughs> but it so it was it was amazing and it was it was it was just steamroller and everything yeah. it was easy you know it was I mean let's not forget all the hard work you're doing all the gigs all the touring because anybody's you know just seeing a DJ rocking up and smashing a party they don't see the bullshit travelling the fucking hanging about airports the delays you know the fucking all the nonsense that goes that's kind of like the work isn't it you're getting paid for all the travelling and the hanging about the gigs you do for fucking free Totally, exactly, exactly, pretty much, you know, but I was just having a great time. Yep. It was just like living this dream, like a load of nightmares along the way, yeah, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was. you couldn't make it up, mate, you know, you could not make it up. And then obviously once I was in Radio 1 and I'd spent a couple of years of trying to find out where I was musically and then I really was in the techno lane and that's where I really felt where I was you know it was like 2001 2002 really you know I started really using my platform to get rid of having big guests on my show I only had a big guest once a month I started using my show as a uh, we call it Fergie's Future Heroes and I used it to really showcase upcoming producers and stuff like that and, yep and um, it was just all about them and in hindsight I shouldn't have done that I should have still had big DJs on once a week and had up and coming DJs on once a month because it kind of you know it kind of looking back at it took the the shine and the light on my show and made it about it was a peak time radio one show it should have been about peak time stuff with sprinkling yeah. and people and you know it would have been better for everybody all around but I didn't want to do it. Like, I always wanted to give. A huge part of Tony always said to me is you'll make sure you, you know, remember. You know, so I always had that. Probably took it a little bit too far. But, um, yeah, the show was, was great. You know, very techno. I'd done a lot of great stuff with it, you know, and Glastonbury and Skull Beats and 
Brazil where I was on there for like six hours took over Tony's show my show essential mics everything so really won't give me a long a long leash they really you know? kind of believed you didn't you I remember talking to you back then and they were just saying you know keep doing what you're doing you know like, right in until it didn't suit them anymore you know um, yep. what, what happened was um, five years I was on there and um, you know they asked me to change back to play more hard house stuff and you, you can't you, you just can't from going to techno to then go back is because uh, it takes it takes you a while I would imagine to be accepted into the techno a long time I lost so much money mate you know for instance you know, I was getting a lot of money for playing, uh, you know, your gate crashers, your God's Kitchens and your um, colours and stuff like that. And I changed all that to go and play at Pressure for 500 quid. Yep. You know, Pressure, obviously the Arches, you know, the guys well, Steve uh, or uh, Dave Clark and Ward and stuff and um, Stuart and... Um, it was hard for them to put me on because they're like, we know you're playing good music, but we don't want your old crew coming in and annoying our yeah. purest people. You know, and they eventually gave me a gig and uh, just the first gig was amazing. I thought I was going to have bottles and stuff thrown at me because there was so much heat for me. And um, it went really well. Then they asked me to remix Positive Education, which I couldn't believe. I'm like, holy fuck. This is incredible. Then they asked me to remix Silicon Soul right on. I'm like, what the fuck? And then James Abel started asking me to remix a ton of stuff. And Brilliant. It, it, it was just, it just really started to click. Um, and obviously I, I left Radio 1 because I couldn't go back on the music. Um, there was just no way. I just would law. I just... I just couldn't, mate. I just could not go back to that music. So I absolutely lost everything. You know, I remember I moved to Hamilton. I remember That's right, you were staying in Scotland for a while, weren't you? I moved to Hamilton. And I remember counting pennies, mate, to get money for fucking food. Go and get a fucking sausage roll. I went bankrupt. I, I was in the rich list in, uh, was it 2003? The young rich list. And then the tax man was at the door. I'd never paid tax in my life. Fucking <laughs> give me this. A one million pound tax bill was just under a million pound. It was all these nines. I remember calling them out saying, what the fuck was that saying? Nine. She says, what is that? I'm like, nine, 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 nine. So it doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> that's no the police, son. That's a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean is that just they've just guessed and went right this guy's been cleaning up DJing everywhere superstar fees he yep. owes us this amount yep, they I just pulled a figure out the fucking sky no I don't think you did that so much because I went to their office mate and they're like uh, you were you know we know what these people were earning and you're the headline DJ right so they've done like, their homework and I'm like well I wasn't the headline and they're like got all these fucking flyers from Ibiza and the, like, everywhere. Like, they fucking had photos of me in the club, like, everything. And, um, and obviously, I don't know if you know, when you're on Radio 1, if you don't pay your TV license, you'll get the sack. 
you know, so here's me with this fucking humongous tax bill in 2003. I didn't leave Radio 1 until 2006. So they really stuck by me, you know, they didn't. Yeah. It was like, Are you um, getting any advice? You know, is, is anybody looking out for you? Any management or, you know, surely somebody's telling you, fucking, so, you need to sort that out. Can't keep uh, going for this. One of my managers, uh, my money was getting paid, my Radio 1 money was getting paid into his account and I've never seen it. <laughs> so there wasn't really listening to too many managers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just doing you know, myself at that point, but um, there was nothing I could really do. Me, I was like, you know, what can I do? You know, I, I, um, I just bought a fucking seven hundred thousand dollar house and per pound house in Stratford. I fucking sold that, sold my fucking cars, and um, I was I felt okay about it because I knew I was in a I needed to rebuild a new. That, that part of, this is going to sound strange, but to me, this was such a big, that was that, and we're moving into something else. And I was so interested. One of the big things for me was, until I'm out of this DJ Mike Top 100, I'm still going to be Fergie, the hard house guy. Yeah. So every few years I was moving out, moving out, moving out, and then I was out. And um, I was so happy about it because I was so confident in, what I wanted to do and I was so passionate about it and the plan was you know they'd be back in there but uh, never worked that part <laughs> <laughs> still work in progress <laughs> still we'll get there you know you leave you know but that was a different world then you know it's a different it's a different uh, it's a different DJ mic thing you know I don't yep uh, definitely I mean so you, you've been you're in Scotland you've got a massive tax bill how did the American thing come about moving over to Las Vegas? Because, you know, I was always getting wee whispers and you were there and then, you know, through Michael and Ken and 23rd Precinct, you'd hear what you're up to now and then all of a sudden you're over in America. How how, how did that all come about? Um, so basically, Neil Moffat, who was my, one of my longest friends, who was the guy who, you know, developed God's Kitchen and blah, blah, blah. The house that I actually bought was actually his house. I was living in it for a while. He was trying to sort me out. Like, he would be like, make sure you're home before 10 o'clock and, or he's going to close the gates and all that shit. And I think he used to fucking close them early so they could watch me trying to climb over them drunk to come. <laughs> pressing the button and the gates are open and all that. Flopping on top of the fucking And uh, so he was getting into America a lot. I took him to America. That's a good point. So... He wanted to go to America and start doing stuff, and um, he applied for my visa in America. This was in 2001, and he got a letter back from the FBI saying, I most definitely cannot go to America. If I do, I'll be arrested on fucking site. There was four warrants out for my arrest, drunken disorderly, theft, skipping bail, and working in America with no visa. <laughs> <laughs> So that's when I was telling you I got to put him in jail and fucking in America. Fucking <laughs> that hell. In, that was in 19 fucking 1998, 1999. Fuck me, man. I know that was fucking blog. Blog. Done a party in Atlanta. Done a party in uh, New York. Done a party in Philadelphia. Went outside Philadelphia, seen this fucking truck. Well, it said DJ Tech on the license plate. So I thought that would go nice in my fucking bedroom wall out there. Pulled it off. Stick it in the front of the trousers. 
finish my cigarette and all these security guys are coming out of the club. This doesn't look good, boys. So I walk over to this big yellow taxi line, all these cabs and this queue of people. And the queue's on the left-hand side and I just jump in the right-hand side, go on the taxi, take the licence plate, put it underneath the fucking, underneath the mat in the back of the taxi and put it the other side. And this couple got under the taxi and the taxi drove off and they got in here for so security took me in the club, started fucking going mad at me, telling me that he's seen me stealing this license plate, and obviously I'm denying the fuck out of it. What are you talking about? They're like, we've got you on camera. No, wasn't me. <laughs> so they tried to keep me there until the police came. I was like, I just left. I'm like, fuck it, I went to the hotel. And I went and seen Alan Thompson and Steve Thomas, and um, we're laughing and we talk about it in the hotel room. And I go downstairs to the hotel to get some more cigarettes and I open the door and I'm not joking you me, I come out of the elevator. All these police guys are there, all the people from the club security and they're like, that was him. It's like, fuck. So they took me, put me in the back of the police car, put the handcuffs and all on me and I'm sitting in the back of the police car throwing laughing the balls off because that's happened to me loads back home. You know, they put you in there and you leave fucking morning. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't happening, mate. I'm a wee bit worried here and they took me to the main police station take all my vitals and all that fucking shit and I'm walking into my police cell and as I walk in they're all it's the like bars you know the bars they have in the old cell and they're fucking banging these things and I'm walking in and they start singing the Jerry Springer song then they're shouting you know like Jerry Jerry <laughs> I don't still don't know why to this day they go Jerry I'm a chick with a dick man gonna fuck you up the ass all night long, boy. Jerry, Jeremy. I have no clue what any of this means, apart from the ass bit. You know, I know I'm pretty, you know, I know it doesn't sound too good. <laughs> and uh, they put me in this cell. There's this black guy in my cell and the black guy in this other cell. He was in because he shot this other guy in the arse and his mate shot him back. And I'm in here with all this here. 36 hours I'm in there. And the detective comes down and he says to me, I said, if you admit to it, we're going to let you out. I said, wasn't it me, mate? <laughs> wasn't it me? So they didn't let me out, kept me in there. And uh, they transported me from that police cells to the main prison, Curran and Fernhold Prison, named after two security guards that were murdered in there. They take me, um, take all my clothes off, my bollock naked, I'm in this big line of all these other inmates. You go into this, you have to have a shower, bend over, spread your arse cheeks and lift your wee fucking shriveled up balls because you're absolutely breaking it. <laughs> you had to put this orange suit and all on. They put you in this cell. And this big black guy just looked after me, man. He put his arm around me and he just kept telling me that Amazon.com, man. Amazon.com. That's all he kept talking to me about. Seriously? Aye, that's all he kept saying to me, and I'm thinking, black guy, Amazon, I, I don't know what the fuck he's talking, I'm thinking he's talking about the fucking, do you know what I mean? Some mad stuff, you know what he's I mean? He's trying to tell you invest in Amazon, man. I don't know what at the time, I had no idea what Amazon was, I mean, did anybody? No. You know, and... and um, so, I'm sitting in there, I might be playing a gig in Miami called Salvation, and I'm in there and I'm looking at the club. I'm like, you know, there's an hour to go. And I'm like, I make it out. Bear, bear in mind, I'm in Philadelphia and the gigs are fucking in Miami. Like, I've fucking still got hope. Like, fuck. 
Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I checked uh, my watch, but I took it off me. <laughs> there was a wide of fucking fights in that cell. There was about eight people in the cell, and I had to hide underneath the seat, and there was just beatings going on, and it was mad. Was you and scared, man? Was you really scared? Freaking it. So scared, mate. So scared. You know, and, and every day you're moving down another cell and then when you get to the end, you have to go and have like an HIV test, an endurance test. They want to find out, how, you know, more stuff about you. And I, just as I was up at the desk, I actually got called to go to an interview place and I got bailed out. It was like, and, and um, I was so happy. But I was meant to stay in Chicago or uh, Philadelphia. They, they, uh, give me a court date a month later uh, but I got them a hotel mate got my fucking wee record bag got to the airport got on a flight fucked off him just one just one out of there sort of thing scared no court date and um, my friend at the time was head of law at Cambridge University so we put a case together uh, read all the minutes of it down everything that happened and send it to them before my court date never heard back for them so back with them that was 98, 99, so I didn't go. And then obviously my friend applied for my visa and that was the letter he got. So I had to employ it, it cost me 10,000 bucks. So I had to get a law team together, fly over to Niagara Falls, because that's in Canada. Meet uh, all the lawyers and all that stuff from America. Meet everybody uh, in the middle of Niagara Falls where it crosses over into uh, Canada meets America. And then they took me up to the airport, flew from Buffalo to Philadelphia, went to court. The district attorney, this wee black woman, come up to me. She says, I can't believe you're here, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, I need to work here. And she was like, have you got 50 bucks on you? I said, oh, 50 bucks. You're 50 bucks. She went, doing the guy whose license plate was the resident DJ in the club. He was in there four years later. Fucking hell. She fucking gave him his 50 bucks, time the fuck off. Case, blah, 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 Robert Ferguson dismissed. Amazing. That's a good bit of luck there, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then um done some gigs in America. And um, you know, that's he stayed here. He could really see potential. He's the guy that created all this bottle service. He implemented that in Vegas. You know, he stayed. And um the kind of VIP kind of booth stuff and all that. Yeah, like you know, charging five thousand dollars for a bottle of vodka costs you a hundred bucks. Yeah, all that. So he developed that, developed Omnia Nightclub, Hikasan, the Hikasan brand. Um, and he said to me for years to come over and I was so into the techno thing. And I really got the ceiling in the techno thing where, you know, when I started playing the techno, I was playing the banging stuff. And uh, it really crossed over into, you know, the, the other clubs and it was going well. But what happened was, whenever anything comes over ground in the techno world they go even more further deeper you know and they went real minimal they went through this real minimal and I followed them and people just even started hating me for that it wasn't it was too far removed from anything for what you had done mm-hmm. like hard house to the techno okay there was still an energy there yep. but then playing this plinkety plunkety stuff and they're like nah mate you're a fucking shit <laughs> you know just, like, just they couldn't back you on that or not everyone yeah. could get behind that wouldn't back me on that and the techno clubs wouldn't back me on it for instance I wasn't going to go and play Cocoon because I was still Fergie the hard house yep. guy playing techno 
you know, I wasn't going to go and play Trezor, I wasn't going to, so my level, I felt I was at my level where, and everybody was playing my records, like my Coxie, my label was label of the year, loads of times, the three different record labels, you know, I had Slam on there, I had Umek on there, Nicole Modaber, Joseph Capriati, everybody, you know, I was doing stuff for James as well, blah, 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 but even at that, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, wasn't enough. Yep. And um, I was just getting tired out. I was doing 15 or 20 flights a month, going all around the world, playing in some holes on the hedge. You know, some gigs were great, some not so great. You know, maybe taking these three or four flights to get there. You know what I mean? You're like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Twisted, drunk as fuck. I was like, just madness. And then he was like, listen, you want to come over? So I went over and he offered me a residency. And it was a real chance for me to be like, I, I really wanted at this point I wanted a shot at some sort of normal life and being absolutely honest you know I was able to drive to work and come home and that was pursuing me for a long time you know until it, it started becoming a job and I was getting really good at it and you did know, you not change I, your DJ name as well when you first went out to America Rob Gasson yeah because I, I didn't know how I was, I was going to like it you know and I didn't want to mess up what you know, the Fergie name. Yeah. You know, already a bit of a cheek saying that, but... Um, but what was that? You just kind of going, I'll try this and see how it goes, but I'll keep my Fergie stuff... Separate. Separate. And I've done it for a year, and um, it was just hard. Like, I hate being called Rob. It's such an, an English thing, Rob. Um, but yeah, I, the name I chose for myself was Rob Gasson, and it was like horrible because I was even going to Starbucks and I'm like I need a green tea match a lot either extra hot vent I'm like what's the name for it and I'm like <laughs> Rob <laughs> and I'm really trying to buy into this you know what I mean and you know then I was playing at White Republic and the, the guy come, the manager comes up to me and goes He's like, Fergie, right? And I'm like, Rob, hi. Hi, I'm I, Fergie, I, I'm Fergie, I. He's like, what are you playing this shit for? <laughs> 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 That's what he says to me. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you playing at that point? Just all EDM stuff, you know? Right, just commercial stuff. I just, I, at that point, I couldn't even listen to any techno stuff because I had to get into this zone of not you know I had to do this this is what I had to do yep no it wasn't about me trying to make it as a DJ at this point I was just trying to make it in life I was just trying to have a norm like some sort of yeah like, you cut out the party and have as much in- yeah just trying to have a life in terms of be a normal person and go and use what my skill is and have a job yep you know and, and have some sort of normalcy do you think for the uh, first time in your life in your career you had treated the DJ as a job you, you called I, it a job totally and I and I enjoyed the aspect of taking any ego out of it I don't know I was going in there with no ego ego was not a part of it it was about nobody that's going to be paying in to see to, to come into White Republic or any of these clubs. They're not coming in and see me. They don't know me. For, for say Fergie, they wonder where my tits are and where my long hair is and fucking black eyed peas and all that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So 
there was no ego involved. They weren't coming in to see me. I was there to play music for them, for them to say whatever I needed to play to keep them there. That was my job. So I really started understanding crowd psychology and looking at taking DJing back to its original form and really playing to the room and really opening my ears and eyes to playing for the room, trying to get everybody with their hands in the air, even yep. though they like hip hop, EDM, you know, uh, ragged, whatever the different styles. Because the promoters, the club promoters want to see this hands in the air with everybody, but they, they don't equate all these different groups. Yep. They don't understand the mechanisms and trying to, you have to build into that, you know what I mean? Yep. And how that's the, you know, that's the, 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 the goal that you want to get to when you're playing, if you're getting booked to play an ultrasonic gig, you don't even need to think about it, mate. You know why you're going there, you know what yep. you're going to do. And I'm not taking anything away from it. I'm just saying that you're, that's that and that's brilliant and that's a beautiful yep. thing. This was something different that was a challenge for me that I had to play music that I didn't like, but I like the thought of bringing everybody together. Right. So you're, you're there to try and give people the best night of their life, make sure everybody's dancing, having a good time, buying drinks, keeping them in the venue. Because, I mean, it's the party capital of the world, Las Vegas, isn't it? everybody's here for the best weekend of their life and you have to facilitate that totally you know and then um, and then I done a gig in Atlantic City and these guys come up to me they're like uh, loved your set mate but you should maybe uh, think about changing your name there's already a, a, a DJ from Ireland called Fergie <laughs> it's fucking you <laughs> that's that's when I went back to Fergie I was like aye oh, yeah. aye and I was just finished DJing I'm like oh. and then they came back to see me later and they go it's fucking you it's mad, isn't it? But so, then, I mean, uh, when when did the turnaround come? You know, if anybody's not been to Vegas, or you know, you're you're in the side of skyscrapers and all that. It then did become about the big DJs and you know, pictures of you, Calvin Harris, and all these big guys that get residencies. How when did that switch become? You know, was that straight in at Wet Republic or? Yeah, I mean that happened really. You know, 2013, 2014 really went through the roof, you know. You know, and then I was playing with Tiesto and, you know, because when I was younger, Tiesto was opening for me, right? And I'm the yeah. and stuff. And the first thing I played with him, he goes, oh, change times, eh? <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, man, we good. <laughs> I'm but he's, he's a cool guy. And, um, but I just really had a, you know, um, had a new vision of what I was doing, you know, and I love the life out here. And, um, but I really miss the throwing your hands up in the air because, you know, you can't hold them down, you know, it kind of bypasses your heart and it just goes to your head and it kind of fucks you up a bit because you need that musical content because I've lived on it. It's, what I've, it's my fucking lifeblood, you know? So, mm. you know, you're cutting that off in a certain way, but your head's still hearing the music, but you're not getting the emotional side of it. Um, uh, doing so many gigs, I mean, I'm doing like 200 gigs a year here, you know? I've done for eight, nine years. So it's, it's been a lot of gigs, but I've learned so much from DJing since I come here, more than I ever knew. You know, more about myself, more about my ego more about what people want from me, what people 
follow me for like what people want from me is they want something different from Mallorca you know what I mean it's like we all have these different things a lot of them will cross over but they're different things and how important these parts are to people such huge parts in their life yeah I'm just trying to you know understand that and not everybody understands the decisions that you you take through this but no one's ever been me no one's ever been you no one's ever had these opportunities and 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 there's no roadmap you know I was talking to my friend he's a guy Cal, uh, Mark Leslie who discovered Calvin Harris Mark used to live with me in Coventry and we were talking about it when we were kids the other day you know and we're just like no, nobody has this roadmap you know yep. I mean Mark discovered Calvin on MySpace you know and actually Calvin had just uh, been given a, a, an advance for a record deal he went to London and then you know, was promised the whole big glam and glitz thing and didn't work and he ended up working in Tesco's and he moved back to Dumfries and uh, that's when Mark had just heard of stuff on MySpace and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. You know? When you, I mean, you're, you're DJing, you're, you're playing in the clubs with all these guys and you're seeing what money's involved. I mean, I remember the, when I was over in Las Vegas, I spent some time with you. And I remember you went like, look up, see all these bottles with the lights and all that. Just keep an eye on them. And I was watching them and I was thinking, fucking hell, it's somebody's birthday or something. And then you told me something like, every bottle was like 50,000 pounds or, or whatever it was. And I was like, fucking, there's been a table there that's been ordering that all night. Yeah, I, I've been in there. There was, a, there was a guy came in and he spent 600,000 and he tipped Rounded it off to a million bucks. Like, oh, I, I, that kind of that kind of amount, of, and then you were telling me some other night somebody had blown the money out a gun and he had the t-shirt guns. What's it like uh, being in that that sort of? I don't know that from being the wee guy who's sneaking into raves. Totally. To, to now being in, in in the fucking the players of players playgrounds, you know where crazy money's getting spent. You know, and it's hard to comprehend because. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it you know it's like people say you just when you play in Vegas you just play the hits anybody can do it it's not the case at all it's hard you really it's like you have to look at it in a different way do they want to just hear the hits yes they do the hand on the heart that's what they want to hear so how do you deliver that but still hold the room and keep the energy do you know what I mean because these people that come to a nightclub in Vegas are very grassroots for instance uh, if they're on the dance floor and you play a couple of songs that they don't like, they will be, you're bringing them back into reality, right? And they'll be like, oh, is it going to be like this the rest of the night? Fuck it. It's still only 11.30, let's go somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Or it's the difference, you change the music, it's the difference between someone spending $50,000 or $100,000 or blah, 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 blah. I got the club, a guy paid the club $80,000 for me to pay, um, what do you call that song from the Rocky movie? Survivor. Aye, uh, I have a tiger. Aye, I have a tiger. Your man, Dom Johnson, paid $100,000 for me to play um, uh, Bon Jovi. It's my life. Is it? It's my life. Bon Jovi? Yeah, that was it. I, I think so, yeah. What uh, he's just paid the club, going, listen, I need to hear this tonight. This is my right, night. Uh, Fucking. Right, uh, I'm like, I ain't got that. 
they were like, okay, uh, we'll get it sorted. And they went away, bought a fucking laptop, took it up into the hotel room, got fucking downloaded on the USB, brought me the USB and fucking bought it. <laughs> Crazy man, isn't it? Crazy, yeah, yeah. And but you, and you like you're saying you're comfortable with, with being able to facilitate that. Look, I'm here to help everybody. Everybody have the best night of their life. So if that's what he's wanting, I need to deliver. That's right. You know, there was no point me being here if I wasn't uh, going to agree to be in that. And it was really, it was a big, big learning curve. You know, it's like you see it now, and I always answer them. People on my Facebook and Instagram, they're like, "You're such a cheesy, cheesy fucker," and I'm like. Well, why are, you, why are you saying that? You know, what, what, what is, what, where's that coming from? Explain it to me, because I'd love to talk to you about it. You know, once you talk to people, they're like, oh, there is nothing, right, right, right. You know, okay. it's like they, and it goes back to that people looking at you in a different way. Like, you know, even though these people are maybe working in an ice cream van, but for me to be taking a job in Vegas is cheesy. Yeah, uh, it's just tra- madness, isn't it? Like, oh, how are you getting there? I'm not saying one is cheesy and one isn't. I'm just saying, like, how you don't stop to think. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I'm a human being and, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing a long time. Like, I'm going to deviate. I'm going to try new things. I need to do what's right for me. I'm sorry if it's not right for you. Every aspect of my life is not yeah. right for you. Don't worry about it, mate. Every aspect of my life is not fucking right for me either. <laughs> 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 so you're all good, man. Yeah, but yeah. You, I mean, you, you try and figure your own shit out. You know, hopefully we can meet again and, you know, put our hands in the air. But at the minute, you know... But it's it all comes from passion. It all comes from the right place. You know these people. As I said, they they they're so passionate about a period in time that you were around in their life, and they get frustrated and don't understand it. Yeah, and that's okay. But I'd like to be able to explain it. You know, I mean, you're still essentially doing what that wee guy in his room was doing with the decks that his dad bought. You're still got a love and a passion for playing and mixing music, and and when you break everything down you've actually not changed because you're still chasing that passion of playing dance music. Totally. You know, it's, it's everybody else's perceptions that are changing, you know, like, exactly. like a bricklayer is f- fucking still laying bricks. Right, that's exactly. All yeah. his fucking life, you know, somebody who's fucking <laughs> playing music, you're still playing music. Doesn't matter yeah. what fucking kind of music it's a great analogy, man. I've never even thought of it like that, but yeah, no, totally. It's 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 one hundred percent nail on the head, and you know we need, you know, why don't we celebrate that? You know, someone has been able to keep a career for twenty seven years doing, you know, what he set out to do, yeah. which was just enjoy music. You know, you know, I left school when I was fucking twelve. I never passed any exams in my life apart from. Fucking driving exam on the fucking HIV test, mate. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so which is crazy, you know, because I'm at a time now where I'm really came out of this, went into lockdown, and you know, I've, I've decided I'm not gonna renew my big contract. I don't want to do 200 shows a year in Vegas. I want to 
take a different uh, direction in my life and still have music, obviously, but I want to be back in the, the more techno side of it. I want to experience traveling again. I want to, you know, get back into the, the business where my fucking heart's beating like crazy, you know, and I'm making music and I tried to make the EDM stuff for me. I just couldn't make it. I was yeah. like, it's pretty uh, hard, isn't it, to make, man? It's hard, you know, it's it's really hard and it comes from being in a place where you have a connection to it in that way. Otherwise, you're just sounding like a cheap version of someone else. Yep. And I tried it, you know, and I and honestly, I'll be the first say it, you know, I had ghost producers because I couldn't make it myself and, and I was paying ghost producers and I'm still having a heavy involvement. I'm saying on reference tracks, I'm talking to them online, I'm doing videos and I'm doing stuff and I like this and I don't like that and I want this and still a lot of directions, but I couldn't sit in a studio and listen to that fucking thing. Mm. Like your nails and the, 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 the blackboard. But um, I tried a lot of stuff, you know, to make it work. Whatever I've done with the DJing or the producing, I still have a level of I wanted to still be the best it can be, the best I can help facilitate it be. Like all the EDM stuff I was playing, I never played them in the club because it wasn't as good as the other stuff I was playing. So I'm not mm. just going to play because it's a fucking Fergie track, you know what I mean? Like I have a service to these people that are coming and if it's not going to melt their face off, then I'm not going to play it. And, yeah. You know? Um, so you know, I'm, I'm getting back into doing all our, all our music. Some I, I really want to have that old feel to it. You know, I'm trying to have that old raw kind of simplistic feel to it. I want to start doing all our gigs again. Um, um, you know, uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff, mental health stuff. I'm doing a lot of life coaching stuff. I want to kind of merge them together. You know, mm -hmm. so I think there's a real a real place for me. To, to support people in that kind of way. You know, since 2006, I've had 11, of, 11 friends that have killed themselves. So there's a lot of that going on. I speak to a couple of people on a weekly basis that are constantly, you know, on the ledge. So there's, there's a lot of that going on. I signed up for the crisis hotline where they have to train you for 30 hours and you give 200 hours service to people that could be calling up, whether they've maybe been raped or uh, murdered in their family or suicide or cutting themselves. Or, mm -hmm. So there's a huge part of me wants to be of service and support that. You know, I think I can kind of relate to it in terms of um, just being real with people. Yeah, all your life experiences and all that, isn't it? You're just using that. You know, I've never, I've never wanted to kill myself. Really, you know, I think we all have a passing thought about it. You know, a stupid thought. Yeah. Especially me, because I know so many people in my life have done it. It's never that I'd ever want to do it. You know, um, but I think it's something that people think about more nowadays. Mm -hmm. If you look at Social media now is what it was like for us when message boards first came on, right? Where yeah. we're direct linked to us and they could tell us whatever the fuck they want and they just talk to us like absolute dog shit. Everybody's experiencing that now. Instagram is what we were getting 20 odd years ago. 
Do you know what I mean? Like everybody can say each other. Yeah, yeah. I know. Thought about it all that. You're absolutely right. Everybody's at their own little superstar, and people are come on. You're a fucking cunt, or blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying it the kids, and it's like that's what it was like. Only it was an unknown territory. Yeah, and it was just very very hard. And as it is now, you know these kids. Like I thought it was real because someone was saying it back then. It's it's the same for them. Yep. Oh, someone said you got big ears, you're ugly as fuck. Oh, it must be real then. You're yeah. Best. yeah, you're you thinking I mean? everybody's thinking that. Everybody, yeah. everybody thinks that in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, so I just kind of want to. We made our life really light. You know, we had just finished building our dream home, put absolutely everything into it. My wife uh, worked uh, in the serve in the industry as well. You know, so we both had our biggest earning year last year and never earned any of it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were like, I was, I'm cool Last year was one of the best years of my life. Yeah, but I mean, we were talking about it and for the first time, you've actually had a rest from, fuck, in how, I don't know how long, what, what, how many years? Non-stop. Six, 27 years I've been yeah. like, physically into it, like either learning about it or actively doing it. Yeah, and it's, it's almost like I don't know. In the midst of a fucking global pandemic, you you almost found a wee bit of peace. Right. Isn't that mad when you actually think about that? It's. I mean, I, I I speak to people about it all the time. They're like, "Well, I don't really think you should say that." I'm like, "Well, I'm not saying it was your best year. I'm just saying it was yeah. like I, me and my wife decided to make a lot of sacrifices in our life because the stuff that we had doesn't." have the same value to us anymore mm-hmm. time time how can we how can we spend more time together how can we spend more time doing stuff that we love like how can we you know all we all we want to do is smile right be happy and as as kind of mystical and uh happy as that sounds i'm just stripping it down to really the basics that's what we want and that's that's our goal that is only what our goal is whatever else comes from it is fine when we went and lived in the caravan it gave me such a sense of I mean we just we sold our house for 1.25 million bucks like we went from that to living in a caravan which to me showed me the best sense of life ever in terms of how simple life can be. It yep. took me back to the 80s, mate, when I was a kid. And I'm, not that I lived in a caravan then, but just the feeling, you know, I'm in the caravan park and I'm opening the door of my coffee and I'm getting my dogs ready and there's kids up with the hula hoops and there's fucking, the man and dad's making a fucking barbecue or they're just doing stuff and the kids are on their bikes and they got the streamers on their hand and, and everybody's just really happy in this this little community because it's like you're on a fucking permanent holiday yeah and it was just a beautiful thing and I was like I fucking love this I love this I love how simple it is I had a couple of t-shirts for me a couple of pairs of shoes you know a couple of hats and you know what I mean a couple of razzle magazines whatever it's funny <laughs> <laughs> when the caravans are rocking don't come and rocking <laughs> you know but but that simplistic side of 
You yeah. know, people are, you get into a habit of rehearsing this and you have to live up to this and you have to have this. And, you know, that studio, you came to my house when I was just getting into buying equipment and I had the two mother mood controllers. Yeah, yeah. What I grew into, I didn't even know how to work them wee things. I had a fucking kettle in the studio, it was the only thing I knew how to plug in. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, that desire and passion to have that stuff, but none of it kind of. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I don't know who said that's but it's one of the guys that calls me for um, kind of guidance a little bit. Tell you a funny story. So he called me a couple of weeks ago and he goes, you know, um, he tried to counsel and all that and he calls me and I always have to say to him, listen, I'm no therapist, you know what I mean? I'm your friend, I'm being your friend. Call me whenever you want. I hope he's not in danger here just to claim his call. <laughs> <laughs> I had a text. Should have been laughing, man. <laughs> Dude, but that's the thing. You had a, you had a laugh because he says to me, oh, "I'm having real trouble. I can't sleep. I'm having really bad thoughts." I says, "Why don't you just have a wank, mate?" And he started fucking laughing, and he goes, "You fucking made my day. I fucking love talking to you." And I says, "Um, you know what I mean? Like, if you do need to speak to, you, I'll speak to you. But give you a fucking rattle. See how you get on." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm yeah. just trying to say that sometimes these you go to these therapists, mate, and there has to be a whole big reason for everything, and there has to be a whole big fucking palaver. And half of the stuff that we talk about going to these therapists and stuff, it's the biggest frustration is it's boring. It's boring. The thoughts that are in our head are making us sad because we're bored with them. And we're mm. regurgitating them and we're regurgitating them and we're regurgitating them and it's the same old fucking shit. I started keeping a journal, mate, and writing stuff down and getting it out of my fucking head. I was sitting one day and I thought to myself, fuck, I look at myself as a creative person and I listen to the stuff that I tell myself in my head and it's the least creative fucking shit I could come up with. Considering I've been doing what I've been doing fucking nearly 30 years and I tell myself the same boring old shit. Mm-hmm. And it really was a realization for me. I was like, that is, you are not creative at all, mate. You're fucking boring as fuck. You need to sort it out. You know? So 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 where where is that creativity leading you now? Like helping others, enjoying the simple things in life. where are you I mean, I think out of the full journey, you know. If you, you you sound talking to you, you know, you, you just I feel as if you're just happy with who you are and where you are in your life right now, and, and it's just a brilliant place to be in it. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and that's because of, you know people around me. My wife, a huge part of that, you know, she is a you know she could have been I don't want to I don't want to sell this house, blah blah blah. So as soon as I started selling the studio, me I went in to see her in the house. You know, I'm excited selling this stuff because like someone's buying this fucking Juno synth that I have and it's like impeccable condition. I spent a lot of money because I wanted them to be pristine. I'm getting them off from Japan and shit. I'm excited for the company's going to get this, you know what I mean? And I'm in the house talking to her and she's fucking getting rid of all her fucking Christian Louboutin shoes and Louis Vuitton this and fucking all that fucking monarchy. Because she, she's no like that. She, she liked having nice things when she was earning a lot of money and but for years, she's not done anything like that. Like, she walks around the house for toe spacers in because she's a big runner, like, and she's like them. She's don't even fucking fit me anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she... So she was really on board with stuff, is what I'm saying. Like, if she hadn't been, it would have made it a bit harder. Yeah, of maybe, course. You know, so she's like... You know, she's... 
just up for everything she's like really since I've started getting into the techno stuff again the music that I love she's like you know I'm talking to her about it and she's like well I've been kind of waiting you know I mean, the question I've been asking myself is like why is it fucking taking this cunt so long <laughs> <laughs> you know so it's a big uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big um, just a lot of big changes me and just being able to see things for what they are and realize that I am Robert Ferguson. That's all, I'm nobody but that, you know what I mean? I'm just me, you know what I mean? I don't, I'm not fucking, you know what I mean? My life is just, it might sound interesting to talk about to me and you, but the guy next door doesn't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? And that's great, it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's, and it's about, realizing that and realizing yeah it's a treasure the moments that you can share with people that enjoy it yep. and can relate to it but it's not it's not the be all and end all it's a great little thing in your life yeah what is your life and what 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 can you do with your life that you can share with other people that helps their life do you know what I mean yep 100% queer are you giving the future much thought when things kick back off again when we get back to gigging what have you gave that much thought or are you just taking things as it comes no I mean you know I've taken on a, an agent and a manager um, we're developing a company me them and my wife where she's going to be coming on board being a real creative aspect of it you know really helping me look at what my brand is what I want it to be like you know what when I'm making music what's the direction with it you know and just having a collective a group of people that are just in it to make good content mm-hmm. you know that I mean? makes us all happy yep. you know she wants to get something from her life she actually was going to go to she got accepted to be an architect uh, go to architect school so she was going to do that and this has changed over the last couple of weeks we're just this is so fresh this idea where we're just going to be like let's just create something where we can work together we can travel around the world we can you know and this sounds a bit up our own arse it's not we want to pick and choose what we do yeah we want to work out weekend no we don't okay why because we just want to walk up the fucking mountain mate and fucking yeah. our beds or we're filming you know, did that right? Or something? Still happily married, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doing a lot of fashion stuff. I've been creating some cool designs with hats and stuff with a guy in Italy. Yeah, I have a coaching business that I've started. You know, I'm I'm kind of coaching three or four people and then there's the uh, the stuff that I'm just trying to be a service to people for free you know help out the people that maybe just a little bit lost at the minute you know um, the biggest thing that I found me is um, people would have always said to me oh, you're great at listening or you're great at awareness or you're great at understanding and stuff like that and, so I started believing that hype for a long time. But when I was doing my coaching courses, because 
Co- life coaching is not regulated. You don't have to have credentials. I wanted to get my credentials uh, from the International Coaching um, Federation. I actually want to have to be legit, you know. But what I was learning along the way was, you know, you learn about being present. You learn about listening. And what I learned was most of the time when someone's talking, I'm thinking about what question to ask before they even finish what they're talking about. And when you do that, you're not really being present. You're not really listening. You are trying to find something that you can interject with and be interested in in the conversation. And what that does is it doesn't let the person actually talk about the next thing they want to talk about because what they're telling you first is the intro. They're getting something off their chest that's going to lead you to them telling you what they really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And people don't, we don't let people get to that stage because we're like, oh, I'm fucking right, yeah, I'm fucking uh, right. and that's cool. And I'm not saying that's there's there times and places for different things, you know. And it's 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 about you know just trying to actually be there for someone. I'm not trying to put my views and my thoughts on someone. What do you want to talk about? Let's talk. You know, and these fucking cunts. I mean, I started my sessions for an hour, and um, I had to change them like two hours. Once they're once you're talking to people, they're just talking, and it's mm-hmm. beautiful because people realizing that you're listening to them, and and you're not forcing your own views, or you're not taking without even thinking you're doing it, but you're you're putting your views on them, and they just want to talk about. Just let somebody talk. Just let them talk. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so nice. You know, it's like they're not asking for our advice. They're just talking. But we feel that the way we have been brought up, that we have to say something so as they feel that we're acknowledging them. And we are, we are acknowledging them by listening, by, you know, our face, you know, by acknowledging with our eyes. We don't have to use our mouth and letting them talk. And it's, it's an amazing thing it's just a great great energy and and even though I'm saying this stuff to you I'm not saying that to them it's just nice for me realising that they don't realise that they're happy at the minute because someone's listening actually listening interrupted they're listening I'm listening to you I can hear you I can see you you're a person you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like because Every day we're rushing, 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 rushing. We forget. It's like, how can I talk about it? Okay, when you look at your ma or your dad, you look at, oh, it's my mom and my dad. Well, it's not as a person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nah, there's somebody behind that, mom or dad or whatever. Aye, aye. You know, and I really trying to just be present for people and just trying to really just people can figure stuff out if, you, if they can hear themselves themselves yep. saying stuff you know people are smart do you think do you think you'd have this this attitude to life and this healthy lifestyle if you were still living back in the UK do you think it's took coming to America to, to give you this life experience to look at things differently or, or or finally see things the way you could put it into perspective yeah, I mean, I tried to stop drinking and tried to have the healthy lifestyle for a long time. You know, when I was a, I was at Radio 1, I was 24, I tried to stop drinking and they were like, uh, you better get back on the drink, mate. It's sure sounds shit. Great <laughs> <laughs> support, innit? You, know, you I, will finish uh, that. Fucking hurry up. <laughs> you know, 
And um, then, um, you know, when I when I was uh, 20, I stopped drinking for a couple of years. I was off the drink for a couple of years. Um, I was off everyone, drank sex, everyone recalled me the rave man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to wake up on my 30th birthday and be hungover, you know. I was sick yeah. of it. Again, yeah, we've all been doing this a long time. Then I came to America and um, was sober, but getting more into the drinking, being anxious and, and you know, jumping off DJ booth and biting people and fucking just went for madness for the madness. I'm back, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then my wife took my wedding ring off me. She says, hey, all this shit wasn't in your vows, like, so give us that ring. I was like, ring. So what's you up? Yeah. It was just one of the, it was what I needed. It was like, I tried all these other things and there was always a reason or the stuff I was dealing with. I've never liked being in front of people performing. I've never, it's always been hard for me. You know, so what, alcohol is just easy to do. Yep. That's fucking good. I don't like to tell you that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and it's just getting older, me, you know, and, and it just all happened at the right time. You know, I'd got married and the honeymoon kind of spilled over maybe six months. And, you know, it was, I wasn't even being crazy, crazy. It was just like if I have a hangover, I'm on the couch for four or five days, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're playing five or six nights a week and you're out and it's like, you're celebrating and it's like you know and it was just getting too much and she was just like this isn't I'm not here for this shit so you know she doesn't fuck about you know what I mean she's, uh, she's you know she's 100% so I was just kind of was like right let's go you need, a str- you need a strong woman just to tell you how it is don't you you need somebody not just you specifically but I'm the same you know a lot similar story for me you know like you need that fucking reality check you do you really really do and it's it's been it's been great you know and you know over the years she said to me do you know why do you have a wee drink at dinner and i'm like i i don't want to i really don't want to drink you know what i mean i don't so she misses like kind of having a, a drink at dinner or a glass of wine at dinner and i'm like people say to me what do you what do you miss most about drinking and i honest answer is what i miss most about it is something that i never had and that's one drink. I never had one drink at dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, yeah. have a glass of wine, mate, and two bottles of vodka with that. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a method to get more in it. You know, so I've, I was, and it's, listen, I I went to AA for a month here, and I'm like, fuck me, this place is fucking shit. It's not for everybody. Yeah. I just, it wasn't for me. I seen it as a real point where I was wasting my time because I'm driving there, taking me time to drive there. I'm staying there for an hour and then I'm driving home and it's fucking taking me two or three hours. I'm like, so I've not got alcohol in life, but yet it's still in my life because it's, I feel I'm, I should be going to AA. Nah, it's still, then that means I'm making it a part of my life. I don't want mm-hmm. it to be any part of my life. I'm either doing it or I'm not doing it, but I'm yeah. not doing it. And then fucking saying, you know, I'm, no doing it and I need to go and speak to somebody about it everybody's different I'm not saying yeah. you're going to AN you need to then brilliant everybody's different it just wasn't that for me I wasn't waking up in the morning thinking I need a drink mm. my problem was when I go in the club and I have one I get too excited <laughs> 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 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I just get a little while excited about it. Excel podcast. But also you've seen the destructive side of that and all that. And it, even look, when you're in that lifestyle, I'm sure you've experienced it. Just sometimes the, the people that you attract in your circle, the, 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 to- the toxic sort of people who you think they're your friends, but they're not there for the right reasons and lead you down paths. You can uh, later on, you go, wait a fucking minute here. That's... I, I love all them people. They're my people. <laughs> They're my people. I don't give a fuck who you were if you're fucking going to stay up for me like I went through so many people I go to somebody on a Thursday night they maybe stay with me to Saturday finding some other people staying up Saturday, Sunday happy days finding another group of people at the Monday club happy days I was just fucking a rocket me an absolute fucking just full of energy what was a legend of that game like for sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if they had medals or certificates you'd be fucking loaded you'd be a professor yeah I mean I could have melted them down and built a couple of fucking I don't know could have had them on the team I don't know um, yeah it was good it was good but I feel listen I couldn't be at this stage where I'm at now without the whole journey you know yep and listen it's a fucking it's it's life's life man you know it's like to be able to experience different aspects of it you know like whether it's different aspects of music different aspects of crowds who are coming in why do they like it more than that or countries and cultures and it's so narrow minded to to think that we have to stay in one box Mm. really yep really You've heard the same pair of jeans your whole fucking life, really. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I've done re- I've done gigs. This is the thing, you know. People go, "Ah, you fucking sold out, mate." All right, aye, yeah, aye. No, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling part of that fucking analogy there. Do do gigs for money, aye. Most of them do. Do do other gigs for more money, aye. I fucking do. Who doesn't? It's your job. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I was talking to a, wee up in, uh, a new DJ and he was saying to me, you know, the club scene's fucking shit here in Ireland. You know, the promoters make you bring a busload of people or they're not going to give you a gig. I'm like, right. They're giving you a gig, right? You're getting a name on the flyer. Aye, oh, right, aye. So, what would you think of the promoter booked me and nobody came to the club when I was playing. I had to bring people. But they don't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. The club's just full. I'm like, yeah. listen, I have to bring people. People are not in the, coming to my gig. Nobody's booking me. Yep. So if I have to bring people, mate, you have, if you have to bring people and you're getting a gig, fucking so be it. You need to look at the positive side that you are starting to learn a different side to what your DJing is and cultivating an energy that you're fill that bus mm-hmm. fill the fucking bus bring the bus yep. bring two fucking buses mate you know what yeah. I mean yeah. bring three you know what I mean a promoter people don't give promoters credits you know a promoter has six hours to work with how can I make this business work how can I fill this club who can I put on to maximise the potential of this six hour slot that I have of two hours for the headliner of, I need a closer and I need an opener who's going to help make this party absolutely rock you know what I mean and people 
are not explained that in that way and they think that they have a you know because they're local and clubs should give a local person yeah. a go well there is an aspect of that but you need to do your bit as well I think nothing's easy you know you have to work for it you do and, and a lot of people don't realise the work that's involved they just think hold on a minute I should be having this right now but you know you know I'd be DJing in my I'd be DJing in the bedroom for three years well you're a fucking clown then because you know what I mean like what 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 are you playing to you're yep. learning nothing you're not learning about these people that are coming in the club and they're standing over here and you can see them getting ready and they're, they're just no they're no got the balls they got on the dance floor yet and they're oh and then they're fucking a wee drink and the next thing you know they're being hard up and, up, <laughs> and the next thing they're fucking <laughs> they're not a better feeling than that yep not a better feeling than that and I, I just think that you know young guys are not explaining that the energy like that's it's raw 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 excitement that's bottled up that you're trying to fucking crack open the, mm-hmm. you know the tin and bring them on to that I love playing at the start of the night I love it I love playing at the start of the night in Vegas I love it I love seeing who's coming in I love seeing people that are not getting what you're playing at the minute and then a couple of drinks in them and they're fucking think you're the best thing since sliced bread I love watching the reaction of people's faces when you're bringing down the vibe because the energy's just been absolutely mental and I know as a DJ I need to bring this down but they're like they come up to me and go what's wrong did you play all your good records <laughs> Like, no, I'm just getting ready to take off again, mate. Give you a wee breather, <laughs> you know. And 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 you have to see it as a a beautiful thing. I remember I went on after Calvin one night. They got it's a closing set, you know. And, this, and obviously I'm bringing it wide in, and the girl says to me, she says, "You don't know what you're doing. Everybody's leaving." So I said, "Well, I'm doing a closing set." Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, we're closing. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Then he get it. You know what I mean? Because it's not like back home. It's not like... It's It's a different mindset. It's different. Once the headliner's on, off, everybody's going. You know what I mean? You know, you think about it here, everybody's in their high heels everybody's dressed up to the nines like when we're at raves mate they got their fucking pumas on their fucking gazelles and their fucking is that what I go home absolute comfort right you know what I mean and they're fucking nah. here it's just different it's a different mentality you know they're sick of they popped enough champagne you know and they yeah. want to they want to wind it down Here, here's, a, here's a question to just wind it up because it's been mate it's been absolutely amazing talking to you and you know I think the two of us could talk for fucking hours man oh big time big time the Fergie that I'm talking to you right now what would what advice would he give you the young Fergie who was just getting right into it um what advice if if any mate yeah my advice is just I I wouldn't change anything that I did I wouldn't because it was so real it was so raw it was like you know it's it's you can learn too much yeah you can you can learn 
you can learn too much, but there is some certain aspects that you can work smarter. And why is like the aspect I was just talking about getting the young DJs to get their crew, make a crew, get them together, bring them to the club. Yeah, you know, make, you it your, make it your party. You know, how can you? I just guess I would just say, you know, think about, you know, how can you enhance anything that you're doing? How can you enhance it? How can you reach more people? Like, what? How can you do that and look at whatever ways you can do that? You know, and, and make the make whatever you do about your personality, about yourself, make it about Fergie, make it about Mallorca, you know, in terms of funny guys, great guys, they love music, they might play this style, they might play that style, blah, 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 but it's still fucking Fergie and Mallorca, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, make it, make yourself the, the product, you know what I mean? That yeah. you can, there's so many different styles of music out there and there's so many outlets and there's so many ways to reach people. I just think it's kind of boring to stay within one stream, you know? Yeah. Uh, how can you, you know, how can you make different variations of what you do? Well, I think you can do that if you're the product, you're the like the inspiration, you're the person that people are coming to see no matter what you're going to do, they know it's going to be fucking rocking. Yeah, they're, just, they're just into it for the ride, for being a part of your journey. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to end it up then, isn't it? I'm just going to play my... Oh, that's it. That's you, Lutna. Oh, that's here's a funny one. They came, I was, I done the first Is that what you're, that's what you're learning? No, I'm not learning it, That's fucking... Can I play that? They gave me it in Saudi Arabia. I'd done the big first ever rave there. I actually went on the... It was 350,000 people at this, and I actually went on um, into the middle of the whole rave and cried my eyes out. What? Well, I don't know if you know any history about Saudi Arabia. It's very, very strict. Up to six months before this rave, they couldn't even have music on in the uh, restaurants. Mm -hmm. Men and women couldn't sit together. They weren't married. Um women had different entrances and stuff women couldn't drive they couldn't even work um so there's been a lot of changes and i went to this rave and there was um it was the first time that many people have been together and um there's women walking around this rave with their kids and you know men with their kids and you know um they're all there with the burgers and all on you know what i mean giving all that air and, it's just a funny experience and then you know you're just feeling that raw energy and it was just took me back to being in the Ulster Hall in Belfast well, I, was, I, I was thinking that when you were saying that yeah it just took me back there in terms of how I felt as a kid then but now I've got 20 nearly 30 years experience of different cultures around the world and to be in Saudi Arabia and listening to that music and feeling that vibe and just it, the, having the music and the vibe still move me, still fucking move me. Yeah. Such a beautiful thing for me. I was like, I was so thankful that it still touches me in that way. I was like, I'm sober. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like, fuck. Music's such a, a powerful powerful it's unbelievable it's crazy yeah. as, as an adult you're you're realising that on a deeper level now you know it's not just like what you were saying when you are young it was just like yes you know you, you, can, <laughs> you know what it all is about now 
totally that I'll just leave you with this but I started watching that movie Beats the Brian yeah, yeah. Walsh and I've sent it to loads of people because they all ask me like what was it like and I was like watch this it's pretty close isn't it it's like, it captures uh, a bit of the vibe it really does you know it really does and you know even the opening scene where they got the ultrasonic and all <laughs> there and they got your wee man bouncing about in his bedroom and He's on the phone as we fucking wife front so I'm fucking yeah. Yeah, that's how mad it is. I, I went to the premiere thing of that because we like, helped with the soundtrack and stuff. I get emotional watching it because I felt that's that could that could have been my life growing up. You know, the guy done it. He's obviously experienced it and and done it, put it together so well. You just got a total buzz off it. It's phenomenal, mate. You know, I was like, yes, this is. And again, it was it was actually Calvin's manager, Mark, who sent me uh, Mark Gillespie's like, you should watch this. And um, I was like, yeah, this is phenomenal, brilliant. So, so cool. I think they're making one, it's coming out, or it's nearly finished, set in Northern Ireland, about all the troubles in the rave scene. Oh, really? And they're, and they're making that film as well. Um, oh, the daughter, there's a daughter now. <laughs> <laughs> so they're making one about the you know the rave scene and what it did and so be interesting to see what that that's like I'll, I'll try and find out more about it to see where it is but yeah, this guy's yeah, been yeah, doing it for yeah. a good few years now that'd be brilliant I'd love to watch that yeah but cool. hey mate your life is screaming out for a book or a film yeah, someone, a guy approached me about uh, doing a book, so, because um, they just, one of the big things they've done for me back home, obviously, you've probably seen it in Scotland where they have all the murals on the walls and all the gunmen and stuff like that, and in my hometown they have that a lot, so for the first time they took one of them down and they put a big, they got a big uh, picture of me up there on the, they call it the peace wall. So wow, I cool. never knew that, that's yeah. amazing, man. Yeah, pretty proud of that. No one's put a big fucking aubergine in my fucking <laughs> So. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Well, listen, Fergie, I've got to say, we need to wind it up at some point or we'll run out of fucking memory in the computer. But it's been it's been a blast, man, just catching uh, up. Brilliant. I knew it was going to be a, a, a good one. That's, you know, obviously all this stuff was going on. I was like, I can't, I just wasn't in that. It just wouldn't have it just would have been rushed and it needed to be what it was today, just but yeah. well we'll wind it up there. What about you want to just do any shouts for like your Instagrams if MD's want to get into everybody knows how to get in touch with you anyway, but is there anything <laughs> like you could check me out on this? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's you don't fucking send me any messages because these I love listen, I love connecting with people. The worst thing to do is send your birthday messages. Last year, I spent about five or six hours replying to everybody. Right? Happy birthday. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Happy birthday, mate. Oh, why? Cheers. So you get through all these five or six fucking hundred messages, many more. And I, because I can't reply to one, I reply to all of them. And then what happens when you get to the end of one? You had to start all over again because then what the, the same people are saying the to you. Friends have seen oh, it. And- no, well then they said thanks for the birthday message and then they were saying oh, what are you up to today? I thought maybe uh, just going to enjoy my birthday. Oh, hi, what, what are you at? What are you doing on good? And then you had, you're, and then you end up sending each person about 15 messages. Yeah. So last year, so no doing it again. 
Don't point them to me anywhere if you miss it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm no plan. I thought I didn't even have a birthday. I thought I'd get ripped off. <laughs> um, what would I say to people? Yep. Um, just that I'm fucking working on a lot of great stuff and just uh, take it and fucking listen to it. If you don't like it, great. If you do like it, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> when do you see us getting back to gigging? Have you got a thought on that? When do you think things will open up? Uh, September, I've got like a load of offers for September and I've got a load of stuff for November. So just trying to figure out which parts I'm going to do. Um, Vegas will open up here in May. I think I'm only going to do maybe one a week. You know, next, next year, next May, obviously, this is one a week. Yeah, this one coming up. Yeah, May coming up. So, um, there you go. Well, dude, I'm sure whatever you do, man, it's going to be mega. And, and, and I look forward to doing our next podcast and catching up with what else you've been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that one will not end actually in jail. Oh, wrong, yeah. <laughs> I'm top right now. There's a guy trying to sell me Amazon shares. <laughs> That'll be the code. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh well, listen. Thanks for taking the time out for your Thank you, mate. Appreciate Brilliant. it a lot. Thank you, mate. You're a fucking legend yourself. No, right back at you, man. Facebook, DJ Malakali. I've been up for four days. I don't want to write and run anymore. Oh, wow, this stuff's incredible. Excellent podcast.